You're listening to episode 197 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. We're lacking energy already. We're missing Pete. Marco, I know you do a lot on this show. You edit and you read Onslaught. You're just a complete masochist for us. But today, I need you to be Pete. So, give me your best Pete and Bessie. Excellent. What's up, Internet? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) See, but that wasn't Pete because Pete wouldn't (laughs) have moved the mic. He would have just yelled right into it. Yeah, I like the professionalism. However, I do have some character notes. (laughs) Uh, Real quick, just to make sure he's completely in character. How do you feel about Pokemon? Oh man! Uh, so have you ever heard this uh, this little uh, this Louder. little character called um, um, Blastoise? Blastoise, amazing! He starts from a War Turtle. No, no, sorry, he evolves from a Squirtle to a War Turtle to a Blastoise, and Water Pokemon are the best. I love how he started out by saying Blastoise. Blastoise. It's like the, the black exploitation version of Blastoise. Um. <laughs> I have I have a question for you, Pete. Uh, so there's so the what 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 is the word? How do you pronounce the word Ooh, that one. means uh, the 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 sequencing of a story and the information within this story that uh, keeps things moving forward and includes all of the logic within this story? Oh, I couldn't do this one. Fuck, I I forgot the word. I know I was thinking of it when. <laughs> It's 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 like continuing into a story, Marco. Yeah. Give me the first letter. C. <laughs> Continuity. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Continuity. No continuity. 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 Yeah, that's continuity. the word. But, but our friend Pete here says. Continuity. Well, that's why I pronounce blast toys yes. like that. Uh, no, you're absolutely oh. right. I didn't catch uh, that actually, right. does that. Kel, do you have a question for Pete? No. Man, my man's whiffing. <laughs> who's the best who's the best non-Marvel or DC comics? Guy? Have you heard of a little indie comic <laughs> called Invincible? <laughs> Ooh. How much how much do you think you could say about The Walking Dead? I mean, it's a TV show. It's a comic book. It has three spinoffs. What more can you say? There it is. <laughs> uh, last question. Uh, Phil here, Comics Palace yep. News. Uh, how do you feel about ska music? Uh, ska music, I live it. I breathe it. If it, um, if it doesn't slap, I'm not there. If it, if it boots, I toot. No, if it toots, I boot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got the energy I was looking for. Here we go. All right. We're off to a Woo! good start. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Uh, thank you so much, Pete. Uh, go ahead and leave us now. Go record your album. Uh, best of luck with that. Thank you very much. And buy, make sure you buy it on Kickstarter, Pete. Don't forget. That's oh, a very guys, important guys, step. Guys, I'm back. Guys, I've returned. Oh, hey, Marco. Hey, Welcome how's it back. Going? Hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's good. I, yeah? I like, uh, for those of you who can't see the show, Marco's wearing a shirt that says Big Cum Energy, so he's truly back. So we know it's Marco. Wow. <laughs>
Well, uh, <laughs> we have a lot to talk about today that has nothing to do with what Phil just said. Uh, so much so that we're going to keep things rolling along because there's just too much show to do today. Uh, I do want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet. Of course, we are the Comics Pals. Uh, you can catch us on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, you have seen that I actually no longer have my quarantine beard. I have gotten rid of that, thankfully, because it was getting very scraggly. Um, while you are watching, you can leave us a comment if you want to discuss our facial hair. We all have a differ- differing degrees of facial hair. Uh, or, you know, you want to talk to us about the show, whatever we decide to discuss this week. Uh, if you want to leave us a like, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. All of those things are free to do. They help us out a lot more than they cost you. and We really appreciate it. While we're sharing the love, it would be really great if you guys took yourselves over to your podcast hosting or yeah, podcast hosting platform of choice and gave us a rating. Those five star ratings, they really help us out a lot. We would super appreciate that if you could go over there and do that. Leave us some kind words if you so choose. Last but certainly not least, you can come over and join our Discord server where we are always having really great conversations. We actually have um, a review that we're going to be doing on the show today. We're going to be reviewing uh, a few books. We're going to be reviewing Empire number 3, X-Men number 10, and Wonder Woman 759, which was actually a listener request. Uh, Matt Murphy, Left Eye Lazy, on our Discord, asked us to review this issue, so we will be doing that a little later bit, a little later on. Um and He's we just do have shitting on comic like uh, superhero comic books and he has he requests us to read one. Listen, man. It's it's you know These are the ways of Matt Murphy, dog. You can't Yeah. You can't. I, I'm happy to do it. Uh I'm happy to do it. I love Wonder Woman. I love Mariko Tamaki, uh Mikel Janin, and Jordi Belair, so uh, very good creative team on that book. And uh, we'll be getting into that more later on. But as I mentioned, we do have two um, words from some listeners. So we're going to jump right into that. We got a lot more than two words. Uh, Let's see. Harris (laughs) left us a few. Um, And I'm going to read this out of order because there there are two points here that uh, Harris has a random question. And then there's something I want to talk about. Uh, at the end. So if we do the random question first, um, don't let me forget. Here we go. Harris on episode 193. Uh, Harris says, Welcome to the raw, uncut edition of the Comics Pals. Lol, <laughs> too far? Yet, no coming is better? Fine. Sean said the word of the day. Revelations. Cheer. Seriously, the whole comparison to superheroes of superheroes to cops is some virtue, virtue signaling bullshit. It is a thinly veiled attempt to attack a popular medium for less than reputable attention. Happens all too often from the outside looking in, much like the long disputed arguments of video games causing violence. Anyway, looking forward to whatever the invits to whenever the Invincible Book Club drops. My random question what comic book movie wait, wait, outside wait, wait, of wait, the new wait, mutant? Wait, yeah, let's hold on, uh... hold on. <clears throat> Oh, Pete's back, everyone. The random question of the day! 
not the day, dumbass. What of the, the week? hell? You know what? I I actually like that one better. <laughs> uh. I like it when Pete experiments. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's let's not actually answer the question. Let's let's read or let's comment on what he had to say, and then we'll get into the random question. Okay. A little after. So, uh, revelations. That's an inside joke. We're not even going to discuss that. Um, uh, Sounds like we probably should, though. We definitely should not. Hmm. Um, is that a Westworld? And then, as far uh, what? is that a Westworld reference? No. Okay. No, I think that means Sean's going to tell us about the time he almost converted to Islam. <laughs> Not today. Um, <laughs> it's probably probably that time he drank uh, packets of horseradish at an Arby's nope. in a blizzard. Oh, I know. Uh, I know. I'm talking about a different time. <laughs> Man, you talk about things I haven't done. Uh, I've never been in an Arby's. Wow, wow. Okay. It has the meat. You're missing yeah. out, but that's fine. It has I've the also meats. never had horseradish. Is that what you said? Yeah, that you... you are not missing out on. Don't try horseradish. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'm also going to skip the arteries. But uh, so to answer to what Harris is speaking on here, uh, yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you, man. I think that um, it, it, you put it well, especially when you reference the video games causing violence thing. There will always be a contingent of people who try to um, point to things that are innocuous as problems. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, innocent on their part, but we have to be vigilant about things like that because that's the way, you know, you get the comics code, you get, um, again, the video game, the video games cause argument or cause violence thing. You know, I don't think that we are supposed to change the world for people who don't get it. If you don't get the video games by and large, do not cause violence. That's your own problem. Uh, I played Grand Theft Auto my whole life, and I haven't shot up anything or robbed someone's car yet. So, yeah, I'm doing totally fine. Um, yeah, that's just what I have to say about that. Uh, oh, anybody else? Um, I think that's mostly true, though. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, conjecture suggesting that. Like military organizations do try to like recruit teens on Twitch streams, uh, like during like Call that, of Duty oh, that, streams and shit. That's not conjecture. That that is that, happening. That's, and, and, that's real. And so that's the that's the shit that's fucked up. <laughs> not necessarily the video game itself, but like how people try to uh, weaponize the video game to like recruit kids. Yeah, and that's but that's something that we have to be vigilant about. You know, because that's action that people are taking. That's predatory and manipulative. And yeah, you know, again, out like you said, outside of the game. And by the way, right? Like, if you're under the age of eighteen, you're not supposed to be playing Call of Duty. Sure. So if you are, that's you know a parental issue. Hmm. That's a good point. Uh, all right, cool. So let's get into the random question from Harris. Okay. Uh, the random question. What comic book movie outside of the New Mutants is likely to be axed or shelved indefinitely after the pandemic? Oh, that's easy. The Snyder Cut, baby. <laughs> nah, I definitely think that's coming out. That's Yeah, yeah that know, is man. one million percent coming out. Yeah? Of, of all the yeah. things at this point, like, that's probably coming out. <laughs> the David Ayer Cut. 
Oh, the Suicide Squad? Yep. Release the, the Air Squad. <laughs> Marco's the leader of the Air Squad, baby. I I don't... I mean, I don't have an answer. If your question is likely to be axed, I don't think any of them are likely to be axed because I think that if they were filmed, it'd be a huge loss of money for them to not release. Um, even New Mutants is coming out. And if New Mutants can come out, then any movie can come out. I mean, come on. Um, yeah, maybe movies that haven't been filmed yet, pre-production films like uh, the, 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 the Flash movie. Like maybe that gets axed or something. Hmm. See, Man, I don't know. Even in that instance, right? It's in it's in pre production. So how much has right. the pandemic really even impacted it? Yeah, exactly. I, I'm just thinking of thing like I feel like things are in pre production, which could be completely independent from the pandemic. Are the things that could be axed? I don't think the pandemic's gonna like Wonder Woman is a movie that's pretty much ready, uh, and uh, Black Widow is a movie that's ready. Like these are movies that will come out eventually, and I it's all about contingent. Black Widow. On the pandemic, yeah. I could see that getting axed, but I, only because I completely forgot about it. I was so yeah. far beyond my scope of things that have happened in the past six months since that movie was supposed to come out. I've completely forgotten about it. I guess the other thing I can think of is if the pandemic changes the timeline of things somehow. Like, we know about uh, Phase 4 of Marvel's movies, right? The Eternals, and- I think, is supposed to come out this year. Is yeah, Shang-Chi maybe, supposed to come out this year? Maybe no. because of the pandemic delaying everything for six months plus. For all we know, this could be a year and a half, even longer. Um, maybe this changes release plans, or maybe it changes casting plans. But I, I don't think it's going to re- result in movies being canceled. As far as we know, you know, the only Marvel Studios film that's ever been, you know, completely shelved was the the Inhumans uh, movie. Hmm. I think um, at the very least, they probably won't be releasing um, the the Canadian Wolverine version starring Phil Casey. Like, I I think that one definitely (laughs) is on the chopping block. That no, listen, that one, uh, that one's been really difficult to negotiate because I am a diva (laughs) and I have really high expectations. Like we're going to be filming in the tundra of the Yukon Territory in Canada. And I want all the perks, all the luxuries. I want all the Molsons. So they got to give it to me, baby. Well, since we don't really have a good answer for that one, Harris, uh, we'll go ahead and read your other random question that you submitted a couple days ago. Um, and that was, what story slash arc that you have read in the past has vastly changed for you as time has gone on? Does it hold up or has your worldview fit the narrative? My question comes from the Earth X book club. Oh, interesting. Well, I know the answer for Kale. Go ahead. Identity crisis. That's yeah. That is actually what I was gonna say. That's the that's the one that comes to mind for me. I used to hold that book uh, really high uh, in regards, and uh, I read it with uh, the long box. I was called them the long box pals. Uh, I wish. <laughs> uh, on their on their podcast, they did a whatever their book club like thing was um, short box. we the short box yes thank you uh we did identity crisis and um i had a really difficult time reading that book uh, be, uh i felt like a lot of the vi- the violence against women bothered me a lot and then it also f- 
felt like the women didn't have character. Like it was always, it felt like the men were always speaking for the women in, in various ways. Uh, I specifically remember uh, Green Arrow and Black Canary being um, uh, difficult in that regard. I, I, I don't remember the context now. It's been a minute, but um, yeah, that one was the most disappointing for me that I can think of. Um, I was trying to think of one for Sean, too, because I was like, oh, I bet I could figure it out for the pals. And I think Sean's a little tougher. So I was actually going to ask a question, because I know Sean, one of his all-time favorite books, Civil War, one of his all-time favorite event books, did the release or reading of Civil War Two impact your memories and appreciation for the original Civil War, was my question. Um, Not in a negative way, certainly. It made me appreciate the original more, actually. Well, all right. <laughs> um, no follow-up question to that. Uh, what's yours then? I, you know, I really racked my brain about this one, and it's hard for me because I generally don't change my mind about. Yeah, that's that what I, like. I was thinking with you. I was like, Sean usually yeah. just likes his shit. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I like. I guess I could say um, I've liked. Like if you're if, if the question can go both ways, like something that you maybe liked and then didn't, or didn't like and then did like, um, if if that's possible, I think I I probably like Final Crisis more than I did before, because um, I I wasn't that big of a fan of it when it first happened, and then I've reread it since and I liked it quite a bit more. Um, yeah, so maybe maybe that's my answer. I'm in a similar boat. I can't think. So I don't reread like TV. I, I like I don't rewatch things and I don't reread things terribly often. Um, so I I'm really struggling to think of something that I. I guess uh, I guess the only one I can think of is Secret Wars, the original one. I I read that for the first time when I was maybe in the sixth grade. I loved it. I think I read it again when I was in college, and I was like, it's okay. Like, I recognized what it was in college more than I did when I was in the sixth grade, where it was just a, a vehicle to sell toys. It's like, really, the first time something like that happened in comic books. And that's fine. I mean, so much, so many Saturday morning cartoons are just that. They're vehicles to sell toys. Uh, and I loved those growing up, too. So I don't think it diminishes how I felt about it when I was younger, but, you know, it's just fine. Fair enough. Marco? Marco, which Swamp Thing don't you like anymore? Yeah, seriously. He's going to be like, I love the Scott Snyder run at first, but now it's so shallow and pedantic. I, so for me, it's actually uh, it's a, it's a manga called Peach Girl. Um, I, Peach Girl? Yeah, it's a romantic like comedy drama, um, and it, it I, I had picked it. I had started reading it in like seventh grade, seventh, eighth grade. I had a classmate who would read uh, different types of manga and this was one that she was reading at the time she'd finish it and like lend it to me and um, I remember thoroughly enjoying it so much so that a few years back I wanted to go back to it and read it and like try to remember characters and try to remember events and I started reading it and it was terrible and I like the the initial enjoyment that I had had I feel like didn't connect with me the the writing was really clunky the the characters weren't what I remember them to be and uh, it kind of set me a little bit because I was like, damn, I was really excited to to jump back in and, and, and try to experience this. But I think just how much I had been reading since then changed my perspective on, on that series 
Hmm. Yeah, that's unfortunate uh, that when that when that happens, and I think the older we get, there's a pretty decent chance that it'll happen to us more often. You know, like we'll we'll go back and read things, and eh, that's not as good as I thought it was. It's kind of cynical. Go ahead. Well, there's like a certain. I feel like when you're younger, you appreciate things a lot more in the sense that like your eyes and ears are wide open to the world and you want to try to take in as much as you can. And I feel like there's a certain cynicism to re experiencing something when you're older and not appreciating it as much. Uh, It's, it's like, it's like almost you're, you're set in your ways or something. I don't know. Uh, It's something I worry about. Like, I don't want to go back and not appreciate something I liked when I was younger because of, uh, you know, for whatever reason. I, I kind of, um, I was upset when that had happened, but I think for me, it was a marker for, okay, I've, I've grown, I've grown past this and and because of, and because of that, I don't have to enjoy it the same way. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's cynical. I think it's something that happens because like people get reinvented every few years, you know, you, you find new interests, you find new things and that changes the way that you move forward. And if I, if I, I return back to something and enjoy it for what it is, that's a different story than enjoying it for maybe like the craft or the work itself. They say you're a completely different person every seven years of your life. Yes, I'm not. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Um, but... In any event, let's move on because we do have some more listener mail to get through. Quickly, the line I wanted to talk about in Harris's email uh, that I didn't read is, damn it, Pete, your hair is distracting now. And the reason I wanted to bring this up. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I but it grew, it grew Pete, out again. I, I, I got it. I don't even know what Pete looks like. <laughs> I was trying to remember what his hair looks like. Because it's not a color right now, right? No. I think he's bald Yeah, right I think now. when he shaved it. Yeah. I think the what Harris is re- referring to is just the fact that it changes so often um, that it's just like, you know, you kind of notice it. I've never even seen Pete. So anyway, <laughs> here is a YouTube comment from Grayson Red uh, from episode 195. Y'all tripping. Empire is fire, lol. <laughs> Good episode, though, guys. And IDK, I have mixed emotions about the Tom King thing. He could have handled it better just by calling Jay. But I also don't agree with Jay talking about don't drag me into a world I don't want to be a part of. That part of the world directly, legit directly paid you. Well, whatever, though. Follow-up comment. Wait. So, uh... We're gonna talk about the Tom King-Jay Lee thing as soon as we get into the news. Um, I do not agree with what you're saying. Um, I understand where you're coming from for sure. We'll get into it a little more later. As for Empire, um, yeah, I mean, Empire is cool. Uh, you had a little bit more to add there, Grayson Red, and we'll jump into that now. So go ahead. <clears throat> I just love that it's a high action event that seems to have a clear beginning, middle, and end set up. I like my heroes fighting bad guys, and even though the Kotati are wrong, I like how they have a legitimate motive behind what they are doing. I love the art for the most part. 
I read more heady stuff like Daredevil and Immortal Hulk and even a lot of image stuff like Excellence and Bitter Root, and those things are occupying the space of a comic, quote, with things to say. And I love that. But I also want high-flying action as well with my entertainment. That's what Empire is doing for me. Huh. Uh, that's cool, man. Yeah. That's chill. I'm glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, thank you, Grayson. Appreciate the comment. Uh, I I think that's perfect. I, I love that, there's, that there are books that do that. And uh, I don't think any of us came for Empire based on that. I think it was just more the the technical elements of the book that didn't work for us such as you know in my case the dialogue feeling less than crisp you know you can have a you know brainless if you will story that can still be a lot of fun and still be well written with great art all the technical elements can be there um and that's fine but i just felt like it was lacking at least for the the first uh, the zero issues through issue two that we read, and we'll talk about issue three here in a little bit. Uh, does anybody feel differently? Uh, nah, nah, not at all. Uh, there's plenty of I don't want to call it a dumb comic, but there's plenty of dumb comics that I enjoy. Like I love yep. dumb shit. It's cool, but the qualifier for me in all life, and Marco, you can back me up here, is that at the end of the day, I just like good shit. Just like good shit. That's it. Like I when. It sort of reminds me a little bit of like Space Riders, for example. Like, yeah, okay. you know, like like there there are moments there where we it it doesn't work, it doesn't make sense, but the art and like just the the idea of nonstop action atmosphere, yeah, it it just it makes it work. And I think for that, that's you know that's at no fault for you to enjoy that kind of stuff. I mean, we, we all do. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's jump into the pals polls, and we'll start off with Marco, who chose Coffin Bound, number five. So Coffin Bound is uh, by Dan Waters and an artist that I've been following for a little bit called Danny, D-A-N-I, and she's excellent, excellent art, uh, this like sort of noir, cartoonish style, and when this had been announced, I was really excited for it. Uh, I have the trade. I haven't gotten a chance to to finish the the series for it, but it's um it's a really good it's a really good like horror action mystery story, and um I just I love her art. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Uh, before we move forward, I did want to also say, Grayson. Uh, like I said, thank you for the write in. Join our Discord, man. If you're not yeah, on dude. there, you should come hang out with us. Yep, uh, we'd love to have your voice. You always have something to say on our YouTube videos. Um, come hang out on our Discord. We'd appreciate it. Yeah, man, you can comment on videos of dudes eating bees. It's chill. <laughs> that was the opposite of chill. Oh, boy. <laughs> he had no chill, that guy. <laughs> and then Marco, was he also was the brave soul that chose Strange Adventures number Yo, four. Yo, I'm in. I I had mixed feelings about issue three, but issue two was strong enough that, especially based off the cover for number four, which has just like Mr. Terrific on it, I feel like they're going to dive back into this character and that uh, they're, they're going to do more to explain where everything's going. Um, I, I, felt, um, uh, I felt a certain way about issue three. I know you guys were a lot higher on it, but for me, I did, it didn't feel like it moved the story. And I think... Um, at the very least, that this issue hopefully is going to start talking about something. Um, and if not, I guess I'll make the call at that point. But I, I still have hope for this. 
Marco, you wanted this pretty high on Adam Strange. Yeah. Because uh, you like him. Yeah. Did you think this like this run is doing him a service? Uh, hmm, hmm. I guess as of right now, based off of like the stuff that I have enjoyed reading the character, no, just because I think that would be like the the book that's getting retold during this this narrative. But um, we'll see where it goes. Maybe there's a there's a payoff at the end. But I think that if we're trying to compare it to like previous Strange Adventures books or Adam Strange books. Uh, no, because it's all about the adventures on Ron and and the aliens and the the sci-fi elements. But this is a a much different story, and I mean it, it can work. But we'll see how it sort of wraps up. Wraps up. We got a long way to go for that. Yeah. Um, Look at this, Sean. You made the boy read. Up. He had perfectly good taste. You made him read fucking onslaught. And now you ruined him. <laughs> Yeah, Honestly, man, no, it's not bad. I'm, I'm, I'm prepared for the reality that we're the ones that are wrong about Stranger Strange Adventures. Like, I think it's entirely possible that our taste is lacking in this in this instance. That we're missing something. Just like Heroes in Crisis. <laughs> yeah, we were no, so wrong about that. No, no, we were not wrong. Tyler even admitted that he was wrong. Tyler Olson, of course, formerly of the Long Box, now of nothing. Uh, friend of the show. He, for, okay, yeah, friend of the <laughs> Maybe show. Maybe not anymore. Jeez, I didn't say anything wrong. He's he's of nothing now. He's not he's not affiliated with anything. Um, he admitted he was wrong about that one. Uh, but Strange Adventures, man, it might it might come together, dude. I don't know. I would love that um, so much. That would be so great. I love yeah. being wrong. <laughs> When it comes, yeah. When it comes to the quality of things, I, I would love to be wrong and hope that it's you know that it's better than I realize. Uh, Phil, you pulled Punisher Soviet, the trade. Yo, I I actually forgot about this book. Uh, I remember when it was announced. Um, so it's like Frank Castle being confronted by uh, the Soviet version of Frank Castle. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and it all ties together with like this uh, late seventies Afghanistan conflict uh, that famously the United States and the Soviet Union were embroiled in. Uh, you talk about a forever war that the United States is involved in right now. Uh, that was where the Soviet Union was in the late seventies, and uh, I love, I love like one. I love history. It was one of my majors in college, but two. Uh, I love like Cold War espionage stuff, uh, which is something I'm kind of hoping for with that new Wonder Woman movie that's coming out, uh, 1984. Yeah. Uh, so I love the idea of Frank Castle being confronted by uh, basically a mirror image of himself. I know that's a classic trope, but Garth Ennis is a great writer, yep. and I'm down the clown here folks i didn't know he was writing that that's that, that's actually uh a plus because he he loves yeah. that kind of worship yeah oh yeah for sure so speaking of wonder woman you also chose wonder woman the last true hero what's yeah. this so that's really exciting. This is the Wonder Woman. So obviously in, in the mid-80s, 1986, DC did a complete continuity. I'm sorry, Pete. A continuity. Continuity. There's a complete continuity reboot. And a lot of characters had uh, kind of essential runs that took place at this time. You know, obviously there was the... Uh, 
There was the uh, Man of Steel Superman stuff that was taking place by John Byrne. Uh, there, and then, there, of course, there was uh, George Perez's Wonder Woman. Uh, this is the run of stuff that came after it, and it was kind of more of an homage to everything that uh, came with Wonder Woman before that. It's by William Mesner Loeb's. It uh, collects uh, the Wonder Woman special number one from 1992, uh, Wonder Woman number 64 through 66 uh, through 75, actually. I'm sorry. And the Wonder Woman annual. So this is like classic early 90s Wonder Woman. Um, it's like one of the lesser known and lesser celebrated runs in Wonder Woman history. In fact, when we did our character spotlight on Wonder Woman, uh, this run didn't even come up in our conversation. Uh, and I've never read it before. So this is kind of a gap in my comic history knowledge. And this is really exciting because DC and Marvel typically will neglect their uh really like oftentimes like their 80s 90s 90s and early 2000s uh runs of books when they're publishing trades and omnibuses and whatnot so this is really exciting to me yeah i'm always happy to see them fill some of those gaps in you know not every book is is that celebrated and a lot of times like you said if they're not that celebrated they don't get that reprint so um yeah you know we need to keep these books in circulation even if they're not necessarily the greatest mm-hmm uh, from Kale, we've got the Razor Blades anthology, which is going to come up in the news, but speak on it now. Yeah, so this is uh, James Tinian. Uh, I guess he headed this, uh, spearheaded this, uh, I, he's starting it as a magazine. It's a, a horror anthology magazine that uh, has several um, artists and writers on it. Um, the reason i'm excited about it is i i believe the cover is done by a guy who i follow on twitter who i should have looked up oh no uh what his uh handle is he does the scariest um unsettling monsters awesome. um it's there's oh trevor henderson that's who that's his name uh his horror stuff is just so creepy and unsettling that it's I'm so excited to see what this book has has to offer. That sounds like something that's in all of our wheelhouses. We all like creepy comic stuff. Yeah, um, like I said, this was this was a news item, but uh, this is it's appropriate. You know, you brought it up. Um, this is from Tiny Onion Studios, which is uh, Tinian's new publishing house. Um, and Razor Blades is going to be an anthology magazine that they're going to be putting out quarterly. Uh, and they say it's for young creatives, but, uh, I mean, this, this thing has a who's who of creators attached to it. Um, uh, so Razor Blades will have two comic serials in it, which is Killboy from Tinian and, uh, Ricardo Lopez Ortiz. And then, uh, A Dream of Time by Ram. Is it Ram V... I think it's Rom V, yeah. Rom V, okay. Rom, okay. And uh, John J. Pearson. So definitely not no names. Um, but the magazine will also have standalone illustrations, and it will also have prose. It's going to have, like I said, comics in it um, from Steve Fox, Jock, um, huh. uh, Margaret Bennett, uh, Nick Robles, Danny, who was just mentioned, hey. uh, Lonnie Nadler, Jenna Cha. Um, so many different creators that are going to be involved in this. It's also also going to have a, an interview between Tinian and Snyder. So uh, pretty damn cool. 
the student, dope. the student and the master. Yes, Apparently. the student and the master. Yeah, I was really excited when I saw this, and I bought it immediately. I haven't gotten to read it yet, but I'm very excited for it. Nice. Yeah, let us know how that is. Uh, that's not all from Kale. You also chose the Crossroads at Midnight Kickstarter to highlight this week. Yes, so this uh, is another horror Kickstarter, um, and the reason I jumped on this is it's a, it's an Iron Circus Kickstarter, um, and they're they're, good. Uh, yeah, they're very good, and they're dipping their toes into horror now. Um, the reason I saw this was another uh, horror artist I follow who does really good comics uh, retweeted this and had had very high uh, praise for for the author of this anthology, uh, Abby Howard. Um, and so I I thought the um, the combination of someone so highly recommended and Iron Circus and the fact that this. Um, uh, this Kickstarter hit thirty thousand dollars in two days. Wow, Jeez. sick! That's awesome. I said, I gotta get on that, so I did, and I encourage you to. You don't want to miss this. That's awesome, man. We always talk about people spending money on things that they enjoy, and you know, spending the money to keep these things going. And I feel like comic book fans really do it. Yeah, um, put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of these Kickstarters get to succeed, um, and, that, and that's so cool. So um, I chose uh, Giant Sized X-Men Phantom X number one. This is a book I'm really excited about. We've talked about the fact that Phantom X is kind of MIA throughout this whole process. Of course, we did the Uncanny X-Force book club, which delves into Phantom X a lot um, and gives you a good idea of who he is. And now this is his entry into the Krakoa, Dawn of X world that we've been living in for some time now. The story is that he's going to be uh, going back into the world, which of course is that little pocket reality uh, where he's from, in order to find a way to save Storm's life. Who, if you'll remember, way back in Giant Size X-Men, Jean Grey, Emma Frost... Storm was infected by a sort of techno, I want to say techno-organic virus, but I know that that's another thing. Uh, but it was something like that. That's so. some classic X-Men shit. That's like what Cable has. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we talked about the fact that Storm will most likely be a villain in the uh, Ten of Swords mm. story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is going to lead us further into that. So, I'm pretty excited. What do you guys think of Storm as a villain? Uh, I don't think it's gonna last. I think it's just a thing, yeah. you know, for this for this issue or for this event. By the way, uh, Jonathan Hickman and Rod Reese is a creative Ooh. team. If you're from where I'm from, storms are villains. So, <laughs> boo. Um. Yeah. Well. Uh, that's all I have to say about that book. I'm excited. We'll probably read it on the show this week. Um, now, we have to talk about the Tom King, J. Lee situation because that has evolved. Oh, I thought it was going to de-escalate. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, remember last week, for those of you who who maybe you know missed it or whatever... Uh, I'll just quickly explain the situation. So 
Tom King called out Jay Lee uh, last week when DC put out a tweet showcasing his variant cover for the Rorschach book that Tom King is doing. And um, Tom publicly denounced that uh, association because of a cover that Jay Lee had done for a Comics Gate creator. Um, I believe it was last year. I want to say it was last year. And it might it actually might have been in 2018. But in any event, uh he did he did call him out and he did say, as far as he was concerned, there was only one cover to Rorschach number one, and it was the Jorge Fornia's cover. So Later that day, six hours later, in fact, Tom King did update everyone to say on Twitter, I spoke to Jay, he's not on Twitter, didn't know Comicsgate existed, and doesn't support hate of any kind. We're all good. Best possible outcome. Sounds great, right? Well, it's not great. Last week, I said that I was pretty upset about how Tom King had handled this. I felt that he was wrong for publicly shaming Jay without knowing the facts about the situation and that it looked even worse that only six hours later, Tom was able to verify that in fact, Jay knew nothing about any of this and that um, he had no association with comics gate willingly, knowingly. Right. So Jay Lee actually was able to reach out uh, on his Instagram page to speak about how he feels about this situation. And uh, all good, as Tom King put it, is not the status quo um, between these two. So this is what Jay had to say. And I'm going to read his entire statement. Two weeks ago, June and I took Loki to a San Diego, to San Diego to see a specialist. Loki is Jay's dog. He did not survive due to complications from the surgery. This past Friday was supposed to be a day of mourning. We were back in San Diego to pick up his ashes. We were going to take him to the beach and comfort each other by sharing our favorite stories about our little boy. Instead, a part of the internet I avoid like the plague came barging in. I had companies I'm working for calling me, friends reaching out to me. I'm seeing... Hate pouring out of strangers' mouths, accusing me of things I have no knowledge of. I'm seeing firsthand how fast lies are spreading. Let me be clear. I'm not part of any group. We never made it to the beach. We spent the entire six-hour drive back home on an emotional roller coaster. I'm writing this because I'm angry. These irresponsible tweets are not harmless. They do not just go away. They have real-world consequences. They can take away your job, your life, your memories. June and I were robbed of a special day, so no, we're not quote-unquote all good. This isn't the start of a conversation. This is the end. So please, do not drag me into a world I never wanted to be a part of, nor will I ever want to be a part of. I want to honor Loki by going back to producing art made with love. For people who enjoy it for what it is. Something that hopefully brings joy into their lives. Mommy and Daddy miss you very much, Loki. Our love. Yikes. Brutal. That's brutal. And I'm pissed on his behalf. And I rarely get pissed off on people's behalf. Because this this is what happens. The rush to judgment... The rush to criticism, uh, Tom King feeling like he needs to get ahead of the conversation 
and to uh, basically shit on Jay Lee, who did nothing wrong in this instance. The only thing he did wrong was take a job from Ethan Van Skyver, who we know is a bad dude. But Jay doesn't need to know that. Not necessarily. You can't assume he knows that. Jay has had a relationship with Ethan since the 90s and did work for him. That's his friend, as far as he knows. And it's very possible that that's his friend in the way that lots of people are friends, where you know them, but you don't necessarily know their politics or every single thing that they think. And uh, I don't think it's unreasonable to, to request that a person do, do a little bit of vetting on their part before they publicly blast somebody. How is Tom in this instance better than the same people that he's criticizing or the same people that he's trying to denounce? I don't think that that's better at all. Well, in, in fairness, if we talk about vetting, um, I mean, Jay Lee could have vetted that the fact that he's working with, uh, like, you can find out someone's politics if you're friends with them. Uh, so that's, that's one thing. Uh, I have a problem with that, but go ahead. Okay. Um, but the other thing is that doesn't, that doesn't justify what Tom did. What Tom did was comparably unjustifiable. Um, so I, I mentioned this last week, but so many of our problems in life could be mitigated if we just talk to people. If you just talk to Jay Lee, perhaps this would have never been an issue to begin with. Uh, Jay Lee in his Instagram post says, uh, he basically says, Comics gate people are people that he wants to have no association with. Uh, he, it's a part of the internet, he wants to avoid like the plague. And I think there's probably a lot of sincerity to that. Um, so, you know, Tom, six hours later, in a very, like, there's something in his tone, in his tweet that really bothers me, saying, oh, we talked about it, we're all good! As if, like, oh, dude. Like, there's, it doesn't match your actions. It'd be like, oh, I this is, this is a intensely hyperbolic, but this is the point I'm trying to get across. It'd be like if you killed someone, and then you talk to the family member, and it's like, ah, oh, I killed the wrong guy, but we're good. It's it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that that that's like the kind like that's obviously a much much more extreme example, but that that's my point is that like Tom's response doesn't match what he did. I. Well, go ahead. Mark. Sorry, and and I just wanted to throw in my thoughts from from last week's episode. But like, I I agree that there should have been some vetting on the part of Tom King, and that you know you're you're trying to to put somebody on blast for working with somebody, and I think if you're gonna do that, you should at the very least like reach out to this person or, or, or qualify it in some way. Um, but I also don't think that you need to do that. And I, I, I've, I feel like I've been vocal on, on the podcast where, you know, if, if a creator is somewhat tangentially aligned with comic skate and they're putting out work that doesn't necessarily exacerbate or incite the ideals. And it is just, comic work i don't think that that's grounds to connect somebody and flame them for that one of the one of the things that was also talked about last weekend was um the the cecil with dynamite and stuff and 
um, one of the reasons that I had had looked at it and and had issue with it, not necessarily issue with that, but issue with sort of the reaction was, and there's a creator there, Andrew Huerta, who I follow. And I, if, if I was in the position of needing to support his work, I would have, I would have done so. And it sucks that they're attached to these creators, but I also know Huerta's politics. I also understand where he's coming from and he's not aligned with this stuff, but it is work. And I, I, I fall into this sort of dissonant space where I need to be able to support comics, but I need to be able to support it in a way that doesn't, uh, that doesn't harm others. And sometimes I, I, I fall into a crossroads in that. And I, I lean towards the comics. And, and similarly, in this situation, I would lean towards the comics for Jay Lee. He's, he's there to put out work. He's not there to put out a statement or a message. And I do think that you can put out work and disagree with somebody. To which I'm saying, you know, the, the, Van Skyver and Lee are probably friends. And if so, you can, I think there's a space where you can disagree with somebody and still have a relationship there and have it be at whatever level, professional, friendly. And I, I think there there's room for that because there you need to have some of that gray. And it so th- this frustrated me as well because I don't think that it was justified for Tom to have reached out and flamed him for that. But I think on top of that, he should have done his due diligence to, at the very least, confirm or have a conversation with somebody else and not sort of be immediately swayed by what people on Twitter say. Um, So. Well, to respond also to what Phil had said, I don't think that any responsibility lies with Jay Lee because Jay Lee took a job from a person that he's known presumably for almost 30 years. That's a long time to know a guy. People change. Ethan Van Skyver worked with a lot of people in those years. You know, he worked with DC up until he worked with DC in the tens. You know, it's not like this guy has been banned from mainstream comics uh, his entire career. Uh, and so it's not weird to me at all to think that a guy who doesn't go on the internet for this kind of thing has never been confronted with the idea that his friend is a member of a hate group. Uh, it's not weird to me at all, and I don't think he holds any responsibility in vetting the person that he's working with the same way he probably doesn't vet anyone he does a, com- a, c- a cover for, but least of all a person who he's considered a friend for a really, really long time. Right, and we talked about this last week. I, I, I don't want to say outright that it's his responsibility to do that. I'm saying he could have done that, but that doesn't mean you're right. I, um, how often do you take your friends to task when you don't really know their values? You know, um, and that also would presume that we know a lot about their relationship when we don't know anything about their relationship. Um, it would be more telling if he chose to work with him again in the future, knowing what he presumably knows now, which is also right. what we said last week. So, right. uh, yeah, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't trying to put him on blast for having worked with him in the past. I'm just saying, I, I'm not, I just want to, I don't want to remove complete culpability, inculpability either, is all I was trying to say. To that, though, like, if he decides to work with him in the future, I mean, 
and, right. and, and and I'm a Jay Lee fan. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna shell out for that for that Jay Lee work, right? Not not for the ideals behind whatever, but for the work. But because you like bad comic art. All right. Oh, here we go. Back to Kale's. He's good, but art. whatever. That's beside the point. I love his work. I'm a huge fan. What was the you described? You compared it to a vegetable or something last week? Raisins. Raisins. As people are. They're like they all have that look of when you stay in a hot tub for too long and you come out <laughs> it, and you're steamed. God, Your skin's so all wrinkly nice. and swollen. It's so smooth. I honestly, though, uh, getting back to the topic at hand, I felt so much cringe for like Tom. <laughs> like he looks so bad here. Like, damn. Like, like this is so embarrassing for him. <laughs> Not only did he do this, but he also left the tweet up condemning Jay for days. So you recognize that you made a mistake. Then you leave up the tweet where you made the mistake. And it wasn't until Jay's response and then, you know, uh, some time after where Tom went on to say uh, the following. As I have done privately, I'd like to publicly apologize to Jay Lee for my actions a few days ago. I should have talked with Jay before I sent a tweet about him that put his career at risk. I made a critical mistake and I am profoundly sorry. I will do what I can to repair this with Jay and I will do better in the future. I'm not going to offer explanations because they sound like excuses and I'm not asking for forgiveness or understanding. I'm just saying I see what I did and I'm going to try to make up for it. Thank you. Dude, his dog died. You yeah you can't make that right, like may, I mean maybe if Jay's a forgiving person but um that's screwed up like the timing of this is so bad mm-hmm. right yeah it's gonna um, be attached to that memory remember when like whatever Loki died oh yeah and the Comiskate shit exactly you'll never be able to sever those two things from each other but the thing that bothered me the most is the way that the comics community has reacted to this thing. And I really think that people have to check themselves. And this is something that when people think they're right, they don't, they stop looking at themselves critically. I have seen so many people, so many creators in the industry, names. I'm not going to name them. I don't want to get into that. Some of them are our friends who have either dismissed outright what Tom King did and have played this down or have actually found ways to blame Jay Lee anyway. Damn. By saying that his ignorance does not excuse his actions. Which is insane. That's insane to say. Like a very well-known editor who we all know said that. How is it possible that you could fix your brain to think that someone who doesn't know a thing could be responsible for actions taken in a situation where they didn't know it. That'd be like if I said right now the word blue and Kale started crying and he got really mad because blue was the name of his dog that he had when he was five and blue died in a tragic way. And I didn't know that saying blue would affect Kale. But now I'm the asshole. And all the rest of you now hate me because I said blue. I'm sorry, Kale. That's ridiculous, right? 
I, I mean, you are the asshole. Yeah. <laughs> well, generally speaking, that's true. It's not the word that makes Kale cry. It's the word that makes me cry. <laughs> See, how, how could you know that, you ignorant piece of shit? I see what you're saying. That's a good example. Now we have to sit through a half hour of Phil crying. No, you you did this. You have to sit here and do. (laughs) But but that's but that's what really got to me this week is that is that the reaction has just been so weird. How can you still find the space to blame Jay in this situation? This guy's dog is dead. He has this awful memory, terrible situation, did nothing wrong, took a job. You know, I just, I'm, I'm at a loss. I really am. And I think that if you think you're righteous, that doesn't absolve you from the possibility of being wrong. Tom King was trying to do the right thing, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You can't just go off at the, at, at, at the hip at any time you feel like it because you think that what you're doing is righteous. You have to think better. And the people who are defending him and the people who are condemning Jay need to get their heads on straight because they're wrong. Um, yeah, I think the road to hell is paved with good intentions and Tom is going to have to learn better in the future. I don't think this makes him a bad person nope. or anything. He made, nope. made an honest mistake. I think the same is true of Jay who worked with you know a, a, a famous comic skate personality who he didn't like you know, you mentioned thirty years of working together or whatever. Um, it again, these things when you're if you're ignorant to them, it, it, it's you know it happens. We all learn from. We all have to learn from mistakes. We have to learn from ignorance. There's plenty of things that you know you can be ignorant of, and you get set straight or whatever. And your future actions matter. And ideally. You know, Tom doesn't put someone on blast outwardly, at least without fucking talking to them first or talking to the publisher first or whatever. Yeah, I I, I certainly am not going to walk a line of, you know, blaming Jay Lee in this situation. But I, I do think this is a, a now that it's passed, I think it's a, a good time to and I've seen this idea floating around. It's a good time to examine the idea that there are people who just don't live on the internet the way the rest of us do i've been on the internet i've been on the internet for six months goddamn straight and it's utter existential torture i would i would kill to have what jaylee has um the the point being like now that we're past this it might be a good time to sort of have that conversation, you know, hey, comic skate is actually a thing. And, you know, if you know someone who's part of the comics community, you might warn them. That's you a know, good point, there, sir. There are a lot of people out there who can make the, you know, if it's a mistake, fine. You know, if it's if it's a job, fine. Um but I think I think the the important thing is the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what needs to happen online and offline. Yeah. I'm gonna say something. Maybe I shouldn't even say. Do it. This. Do it. Nope. Do it. I, I'm I'm angry 
at the fact that people are taking Jay Lee to task for doing a job, for 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 drawing a cover for a guy who is a, a monster. Ethan Van Skyver deserves nobody's uh, love or, or or respect based on who he is as a person, art wise, whatever. But even if I I couldn't even and I I I separate easily the two, but I couldn't check something new out from Van Skyver at this point. I, I couldn't do that. Um, but that being said, Tom King was part of the CIA, right? And the CIA responsible for lots of absolute atrocity, atrocities that have led to the deaths of who knows how many people. Yes, sir. And one of the people in this conversation contributed to that group. The oh, other I, one drew sorry. a cover. I thought you meant this conversation. I was like, no, 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 no. Wait. <laughs> sorry. Well, according to the comic state community, allegedly CIA. BS. So stupid. That's true. We're having a conversation. We've got to. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. That's ridiculous. That's an excellent point, Sean. Uh, Tom King affiliated and associated himself with the CIA, who's as an organization committed. Uh, war crimes against humanity throughout Latin America and Southeast Asia and the Middle East. Uh, and hell, Tom King's own work explores his role in all this. And that certainly uh, makes him culpable of doing a lot of bad shit. Uh, actual murder. Actual. Now, I'm not saying he committed murder. I do not right. know that. I'm only saying that he's associated the CIA with, entity. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you talk about checking yourself, bro. Check yourself. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, we can leave it there. Unless I'm anyone else. I'm genuinely surprised more people don't uh, give a shit about that. <laughs> hey, man. Some people are above certain kinds of criticism. You know, we. This I guarantee you, the same people who sit around and talk about uh, what. You know, presidents have been involved in whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's Obama, whether it's Bush or whomever, uh, probably do not care that Tom King was a member of the CIA. Literally every United States president, except maybe like William Henry Harrison, who died in 30 days since being inaugurated, has committed atrocities in, during their presidency. But the U.S. worships the military, and there's nothing, you know. U.S. number one. About that. Um, I I just want to 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 what Kale said about like having the conversation. I think that's the the most important like next step after all of this. It it for me, I think that there's a space to let's say continue to work with even Vanskyra and uh confront him on on his his ideas and and be like, hey, like so I I now have heard you're part of this whatever community is this something you believe in like whatever and have a dialogue because if you if you shy away from it or try to disassociate yourself from it, you build out those two camps versus trying to find a medium not necessarily where you can align or agree with him, but where you can maybe pull people from brink. And I think that that's an important dialogue to have. Um, you know, we I'm sure we have I know I have family members who are like, let's say, Trump supporters, right? And I don't necessarily agree with them, but it doesn't mean that I don't engage with them and have a dialogue because that's that's the, in my opinion, the best way either in in public life or as an artist to push something. To learn. To learn, yeah. 
I think that's a good point, and I think that people really need to chill out. Um, you know, you can't control the way other people choose to live, um, and you can't control the way other people earn their money. You do not know what Jay Lee's financial situation is. You do not know what anyone's financial situation is. Um, when someone comes out and says something hateful, you judge them on that. Short of that, you got to leave them alone. I do want to point out, though, because we, you know, I want to make it clear where we stand. Uh, Ethan Van Skyver this week got outed, him and his little crew of, of goons, for during his podcast speaking about Tess Fowler's cancer. Tess Fowler, of course, oh. you know, uh, a creator in comics. Um, yeah. And they made light of the fact that she has cancer. They joked about it. They joked about the fact that she got cancer because she uh, had come out against Ethan. Uh, the, the joke fuck? was made by Cecil. In fact, Cecil, the guy from the Dynamite story, that she uh, got what she deserved, that uh, Ethan Van Skyver's powers are bestowed him by God, um, that anyone who comes against Ethan will have something bad happen to him that he's witnessed it firsthand. Oh, he's like um, a big Mormon guy. They're sick. What the they're fuck? They're insane. Yeah, they're uh, insane. So let's uh, maybe we, we're talking about having a dialogue. What uh, what else has even Ethan Ben Skyver uh, done over the years that is really is really shitty? Do we remember? Uh, well, yeah. he he's uh, on. Uh, I'm I'm looking for the thread now. But there's a oh here it is uh it's a thread by at Kwanzer, uh oh, laying yeah. out the uh, uh, Ethan Van Skyver's uh, Kiwi Farms account. Right. And if you if you don't know what Kiwi Farms is, it's the biggest community of stalkers. What? Uh, it's uh yeah he <laughs> uh he advocate he says that he has an account. Because they doxed him one time, and he just uses it to keep tabs on what they're doing. Yeah, that's uh, it. But he 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 very obviously he's verified. He very obviously posts, and um, you know, is he's fucking shitty. Yeah. Um. And and beyond that, I honestly don't feel like we need to go into his whole resume of awfulness. Uh. But rest assured that there's no shortage of, um instances where he has been a complete piece of garbage and i personally don't think that that is in question uh for me there's no middle ground my only middle ground is in how we're handling the discourse around you know jay and and you know all that kind of stuff that we already got into but um that's where that story is probably going to end for us I don't really feel like there's much that's going to come out of it from now on. Hopefully, Jay can, you know, uh, mourn the loss of his dog in peace and put this awful uh, incident behind him. Moving forward, we do have to talk about Scott Snyder, another DC creative who is moving away from doing work for mainline DC Comics starting in 2021. DC's exclusive contract with Snyder actually ended in 2019 so that's why we're starting to see more creator owned stuff coming out from him um, he's now free to do what he wants as far as comics are concerned he's not going anywhere though uh, he did say 
he had a few words to say about it. He did say this. Uh, I'm not leaving superheroes, but I need to start working on more of my own stuff. I'm still doing stuff at DC, but definitely not as much. I want to give other people a chance with the big stuff at DC. And to be perfectly frank, there's a lot of there's a lot I want to do outside of superhero comics. Uh, he elaborated um, and said, uh, Raphael Albuquerque, Greg Capullo, and I are going to be doing more stuff together. Death Metal and American Vampire 1976 are a neat way to cap off my previous decade at DC. But I'll be doing more work with them after this, as well as with Jock and some other people from my time at DC, Becky Cloonan, to name another. Um, he talks about how he wants to continue to do things like The Last Night on Earth, uh, which, of course, is the um, uh, black label thing that he did. So, uh, really cool. Um, looks like we're going we're gonna to see the end of Scott Snyder's Rain at the top of the main DC books. I'm okay with that. Uh, and I kind of like Scott <laughs> Snyder too, but change is good. Um, and he's been doing this for a while. It's, it's, he's been top dog or w- like one of the top dogs there for like eight, nine years at this point. Um, I am interested in seeing him do more original horror stories. I want to see what kind of yeah. ideas he's got rattling up there. Yeah. Uh, what was the one he did? Uh, Marco, I think you also read it. Uh, what was it called? The Depths, The Deep? Um, oh. Something like that. Yeah. At uh, Image? Yeah, at Image. Witches? Uh, There's Witches. No. But he did another one. I can't remember. I, it was something like that. Yeah. Yeah. The Depths, I, maybe. I wish I remembered exactly what it was. It was really cool. It was very good. But... um. Yeah, that's his bread and butter, and I hope that he can return to that. I mean, he started one of his big books when he got started was Black Mirror, mm-hmm. um, and that was that was a horror kind of book um, starring uh, Dick Grayson as Batman. Really love that. That that's my favorite book he did. Me too. That is my favorite Scott Snyder story. The Wake. The Wake. There yes. you go. The that's Wake. That's a Vertigo book. Yeah. Was it Vertigo? Okay. I was gonna say it would be cool to see him. Potentially, and this is just spitballing. It's got no evidence. It's just I made this connection. Um, it would be cool to see him potentially start up Vertigo again. Oh, man. Talk about uh, constantly stopping and starting. Yeah, right. But I think, you know, under the guise of a creator who has done a lot of good work for DC, I feel like he, you know, he's got a good reputation with you know the higher ups he 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 knows what he's doing he knows how to foster good talent as we've seen from Tinian, Marguerite Bennett and all the other people he's you know mentored over the years i think that would be a really good move well Hell, he ran a fucking school for dc comics he's bringing that back uh that's that's one thing he wants to do with some of the time that he's going to have here he did say my goal is to, to also try to get the teaching workshop up and running again, not take oxygen from the main line myself, and allow a generation of writers to come up while I'm doing other things. So, you, yeah, that's, that's something that he wants to bring back. And I think DC needs that big time. I think comics in general need that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love Scott Snyder. I, 
saying I would love it if Snyder did a little bit of work at Marvel. Um, we got Bendis over at DC. That's not a fair trade, man. Oh, come on, <laughs> let's trade, man. That's not a fair trade. Let's give let's give Snyder about twenty more years when he doesn't have it anymore and he can just cash it in and then Oh come on. <gasps> Sean And then we'll make that trade. Sean, who would what character or, or book would you want to see Snyder on at Marvel? Oh boy, I feel like Snyder has a Daredevil story in him, boy. That man, that would be so tight. That would be yeah. really, really good. I was gonna say Namor. Doctor Strange, I think, would be good. Ooh, Namor would be good. Ooh, uh, oh, ooh. wow, that's so interesting. Him and Kapulu on Namor seems oh, like a glove. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow, fuck. that's crazy. Good work, Kale. I didn't Wasn't say that Namor. Marco? That was Marco. Yeah. <laughs> I said Doctor Strange. <laughs> Kale, good job, buddy. See, <laughs> so, yeah, I love being proven wrong. <laughs> yeah, so uh, look forward to more things from Snyder, but probably different things than we've seen. And uh, I think I think that's awesome. Make some room I, at the top. I do genuinely look forward to that. Yeah. So, speaking of horror comics, uh, we do have a new horror book coming from Image uh, called Blue and Green. Yep. Yeah, Marco, you seem to be excited about this. Um, what do you know? Well, Blue and Green is a song by miles davis um that's right his i think in his quartet um yeah and uh it's from kind of blue from kind of blue one of his landmark albums the birth of the cool jazz era and i think that from from what they've done uh at, at image in the past they did i think paul's not dead which is a graphic novel about the beatles um and man horror and jazz that's my shit like that's it. Um, that was basically the pitch. It was like, "Ooh, really?" And then blue and, and then blue and green. Okay, cool. Like I'm into this. Um, the the art itself um, uh, was it Anand R K. Uh, yeah. And the preview images on this are gorgeous. So this like mix of watercolor and design work, and it's just super striking. Um, it kind of reminds me of some. What is it, John H. William the Third from Sand J. J. William, William from yeah. from yeah. from Sandman? Um, uh, like it, it it looks super emotive, really cool colors. I just think it's gonna be a trippy book, and the the context around it seems very interesting. Yeah, that sounds sick, man. I'm right there with you, Marco. Hell yeah. So this is actually Rom V, uh, on writing on this book. Uh, who we talked about a little bit earlier. And um, this is probably the kind of book that's an artist showcase yeah. more than anything. It's gorgeous. I encourage you guys listening to check out the art for yourself. Um, there was a lot of support uh, that poured out for this book from creatives because of how awesome it looks. And, uh, you know, I think we in general here at the Comics Pals like horror stories. So uh, Image, always willing to do... Uh, genre plus and so this is horror plus jazz so you know oh. the music influence and um, I, I I think this is awesome this art it reminds me of like Arkham 
Asylum, Serious House, Ooh, and Serious Earth. Yes. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, and Dave McKean. I dig that. Yeah, yep. exactly. Who did a lot of work with uh, on Sandman, obviously. Yep. But th- that's what this feels like to me. I've not heard of Ram B. He's kind of an up-and-comer. I know he did uh, a few things. Jess has dropped his name at me a couple of times. He's done a couple of things at uh, Titan. And um, there's a, a UK publisher called Self-Made Hero that uh, guys like Rom V, uh, Plaid Klaus, oh. uh, Ryan O'Sullivan, um, and, and a, a few others um, all have uh, worked for. And they, they have sort of a little group that they all um, have come from. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so well, he's, uh, it sounds like Rom V's uh, got his shot now. I typed in, I, I was going to look him up to see, you know, if I could learn a little more about him. And I accidentally typed in Rom 5, like the number 5. <laughs> That's like the fifth planet in the Ron Empire, right? From Strange yeah. Adventures? Yes. yes. Rom Space Knight. <laughs> so in the in the Screen Rant article, actually, they do speak about uh, Rom, and it says Rom V is a writer well known for his work across the comics industry with high profile titles like Batman. Really? Um, yeah, and his is a name that I I definitely remember seeing, but I just can't put my finger on like what exactly I've seen him work on. But uh, yeah. He's apparently he he's been working since 2012. Oh wow! Yeah. So, um, and and an Indian writer from Mumbai. Oh so shit! Hell yeah. yeah! Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, we'll definitely be checking this book out, whether it's just privately or uh, on the show itself. Um, but uh, yeah, very excited for this book. As an aside, um, interesting that. He's from Mumbai and he's talking about jazz, but there's a really big funk movement in India, and it's dope as fuck. Uh, okay, that sounds rad. Sweet. Separately, yeah. Let's do a podcast about that. Hey, fuck comics, this week, guys. <laughs> <laughs> nah, never. This is this is this is all about comics. That's all. No, nah, just about. this once. The uh, the the funk pals. The fuck pals. Uh, no, the funk pals. I don't know if I can do it, man. All right. Uh, real quick, real quick. Did you guys watch anything from Comic-Con at home? Nope. No? I tried, and I realized it was at PST, and so I signed on at wrong times consistently. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a rookie-ass mistake, yeah, my man. And, uh, I also forgot that I wouldn't have been able to watch it. <laughs> it'd been like three in the morning for you yeah <laughs> uh but i i tried i tried to do like some of the educator ones at the very beginning but the the time difference threw me off and then i was like okay fine i'll set an alarm for it but i forgot and i just i didn't get around to it you dingus yeah um it it's it 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 wasn't it didn't do what they expected it to do um it underperformed it, they actually said it they actually said it was uh on a on the social media impression scale a 95% decrease <laughs> yeah. from what wow. from what it usually does and a big contributor to that was that there was very very little actual live 
um, work. So there was no room for interaction between fans and creators, which is one of the driving forces behind conventions, being able to, you know, ask questions of your favorite creators, get something signed by them, things like that. All of those things were unavailable. I feel like there was a better way to handle this, and they just didn't do it. Yeah, but, like, also, you know, I feel like everyone's been bombarded with Zoom calls in general. Like, you see all these movies doing table reads with the cast of, like, popular movies in the past. Um you you'll have shows do like a new episode that's through zoom or something uh and reality is because the world is on hold what is there to announce hypeness is something that's really important when it comes to a convention what what we have a very extensive news segment in our show how much news have we covered that's dropped from san diego comic-con these factors basically produce something there's a zero hype factor that's absolutely true you're right about that and you could tell that from the we talked about this last week but the marvel and dc panels that they had were very lacking in terms of actual announcements um and that was frustrating but again being able to even if they can't say anything but instead of just watching a prepackaged video of Teeny Howard and Jerry Duggan talk about these books, if I could ask Teeny Howard a question, maybe she can't answer as far as upcoming things, but she could certainly speak to different elements of her uh, of her, of her run, her favorite characters to write, things like that. Uh, maybe those are questions that she's answered a hundred million times, but she hasn't answered me specifically. And that's the difference uh, when it comes to conventions, what makes these so exciting. Yeah, but that 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 will give it strength in the moment, right? Like maybe people are will be there live to talk about it. But if if something if she unless she says something that has some legs afterwards, like people aren't going to go pursue it after it already dropped live or whatever. And I think that's really important for things like Google impressions or whatever because it'll be a blip. And there won't be anything afterwards. Whereas in typical years, most people can't go to convention like San Diego Comic Con for you know financial factors, traveling factors, work schedules, you know whatever. But you know you drop a trailer for Infinity War, that thing's gonna have legs for weeks, and people are gonna check out the panel. And people like seeing people excited at a panel because they feel like they're there, and then they can watch the interview live with the. Not live, but they could watch the interview after it aired because, like, there's legs to this thing afterwards. Ditto for, like, the announcement of, like, powers or whatever. Like, it's like, oh, that's hype. I got to check this out. I'm not there. I may not ask a question, but other people did. And, like, I need to find out everything about this thing that dropped. Yeah, you're absolutely not wrong about that. Um, But I think the, the fact that none of us bothered to tune in the fact that so many people didn't speak on it um it died you know it didn't feel eventful because i knew i could watch it at any time i just never watched it um there were a couple of things that i did watch though of course we talked about the big panels from marvel and dc last week another thing that i was able to check out was um a hashtag save daredevil panel uh save daredevil con um and p 
Peter Shinkoda, who played Nobu on the Daredevil show, season spoke one. out. Yeah, on season one. Um, he spoke out. And so here we're going to be talking about what he had to say, but there's also a few different um, things we have to discuss as it relates to racism and a problem of diversity within the Marvel umbrella. So here we're talking about Marvel Studios, the prior uh, regime of Marvel TV, which is obviously defunct at this point, and the Marvel Comics uh, editorial staff and characters in general. But we're going to start with Peter Shinkoda. He was very critical. He blasted Jeff Loeb during this panel. Uh... He said the following. Jeff Loeb told the writer's room not to write for Nobu and Gao, and this was reiterated many times by many of the writers and showrunners. He said, nobody cares about Chinese people and Asian people. There were three previous Marvel movies, a trilogy called Blade, that was made where Wesley Snipes killed 200 Asians each movie. Nobody gives a shit, so don't write about Nobu and Gao. That's fucked. Not a good look. That's, yeah, that's rough. Um, uh, that sucks. Gao is like one of the better characters in the Marvel television shows. Uh, she was like, she's one of the better characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, like every scene she's in, captivating. Uh, and so the fact that you know executives like Jeff Loeb are like, don't even worry about her wasted and like that's wasted energy and that's wasted potential and obviously most importantly it's fucking racist it's bigoted (sighs) that's a heavy heavy accusation that he lobbed against um jeff Loeb there and you know he he actually said a little bit more than that. Um, he also spoke about a specific um, plot line that uh, that was actually spoken about that got dropped. Um, I I don't see it here. I, I'm having trouble finding it, but I I remember exactly what it was. Uh, he basically said that at some point uh, Nobu actually comes in to America, and they were going to show how he was able to do that. Um, he was being he was, his, he was being flown in for some kind of a medical medical emergency surgery, something of that nature, um, and they were going to explore that whole backstory, um, and he was really excited about it, but uh, they, they cut, they completely cut that, um, that angle. I, I don't know. Again, this is one where it's like, on the one hand, I'm definitely not going to discount what he's saying as far as his experience and what he is told Jeff Loeb said that nobody cares about Asian people. If that's something that Je- Jeff Loeb actually said, that is brutal. That's absolutely disgusting. Um, But the thing he said about Blade is just factually incorrect, right? Like, Blade... I've seen those movies, but he definitely wasn't killing just Asian people wantonly. I I took it as that's what Jeff Loeb said. Is that not what Jeff Loeb said? That's how, yeah, that's also how I took it. Like, I took it as he was saying that's why Jeff Loeb, like, he said, no one Jeff Loeb says, 
no one cares about Asian people. Blade killed all these Asian people in movies. No one gives a fuck. Like, I thought that was his argument or whatever. Okay, yeah. I read it different. I, 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 I interpreted it differently than that. Okay, all right. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and uh, you're obviously right, but, like, to me, that was just Jeff Loeb being uh, in, 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 you know, in the claim explaining why like reinforcing his shitty opinion or whatever right there they also uh discuss the fact that jeff Loeb has kind of been douchey in the past as it relates to um asian people uh so when (sighs) oh god uh, Jeff Loeb showed up to Comic Con in a karate outfit. What the fuck? Did he do karate? Uh, I don't know. I well, I know what Jeff Loeb looks like too, and it's just a weird visual. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, he did also receive criticism for the casting of Finn Jones in the role of Iron Fist. They felt that that should have gone to an Asian person. We've dissected that so many times. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this is bad. This is a very bad look for Jeff. Obviously, Jeff is out the door already, so this won't affect him. Does he do anything his... anymore? I don't know where he's at these days. He's pretty old, too. He's up yeah, there. He may, he may just be retiring, cashing in those Marvel checks now. and just His, his yeah. books resell really well, obviously, too. Yeah. Long Halloween alone. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Ah, this is real rough. This is really, really bad. Um, yeah, at least Marvel's consistent. Beating the comics or in the movies, diversity doesn't sell. Per oh them. Oh my god. Damn. Oh my god. One th- one thing that I think is gonna suck is this. This actor's career is probably gonna tank. I don't. You can't speak speak out against a, an executive like oh, that and like re- expect to uh, retaliation. Get roles, yeah. I thought about that too. Uh, he does say he was very reluctant actually to speak. Uh, you could tell that he was kind of like debating whether or not it was the right thing to say. And he said he actually said he's not as into protecting certain things anymore. Um, and that's when he went in, went on to elaborate and and you know. Mm say say what he felt um must have got a job at starbucks or something (laughs) wow i i personally don't care if nobu and gal didn't have deeper stories um nobu was kind of a side character and i feel like gal had a really strong role in the show um but if the reason that they that they had their roles cut down is due to jeff loeb thinking that people don't care about Asian people or Asian characters, that's crazy. If there were great things that could have been done with Gao and Nobu that weren't done because of that, that's awful. Um, do I think the show suffered? No. But could if they could have been better, then obviously I want that. Yeah, I love the Daredevil show. It's terrific. Uh, it's one of my all-time favorite adaptations of anything related to a comic book. 
So the issue isn't inherently that Nobu and Gao are character are, are secondary characters in the show, obviously. The issue is right. the implication that everything related to them was inherently rooted in outright racism. <laughs> yep. Awful. That's not the only actor from the MCU who has spoken up, though. Uh, Anthony Mackie, of course, the new Captain America, had some things to say about Marvel and working for them and what that's been like. Um, and he, he spoke to Fatherly, and he said, he said, I don't think that what's happening is a racism problem. I think it's un- an unawareness problem. With Marvel, I really think with most companies, they feel like they're doing what they should be doing. In no way, shape, or form is it enough. My big thing is, Put your money where your mouth is. You can't cast a black dude as one of your main superheroes and not expect him to have that conversation. It's just in my DNA to have that conversation. It's a huge opportunity for me to be a part of the Marvel Universe, so it's my job to make sure the Marvel Universe can be uh, is as good as it can be. Um, anyone who's big in our industry, if they have a party at their house, their party is 98% white. If you go to their office and their office is 98% white, that reflects their reality. Um, he spoke about the fact that on the sets of the movies that he has been a part of, um, he said, I've done seven Marvel movies where every single producer, every director, every stunt person, every costume designer, every PA, every single person has been white. Um, that's, (laughs) that's not great. Not surprising though. It isn't surprising. This is something that I struggle with because he also talked about Black Panther and he talked about the fact that with the Black Panther movie, when you look at that, the direct like it's the exact opposite. Right. Um, And he talked about why is it that when the movie has a predominantly black cast, all of a sudden the entire creative team behind the scenes is also black. But in every other instance, everybody's white. You've talked about this on the show multiple times. Something like Ta-Nehisi Coates doing Black Panther. Give the black uh, author or creative a, a book with black characters instead of giving that person you know, Captain America, which, of course, he would eventually do. Uh, right. You've been, you've been outspoken about that kind of thing on the show before. The, the additional element, though, that Mackie does neglect to mention is that the director oftentimes chooses the crew. Mm-hmm. That's a normal thing. And when uh, we when we had Black Panther, which was directed by, help me out. Kugler. Uh, Ryan Kugler. Ryan Kugler, thank you yeah. very much. He chose to bring on a lot of people who he was familiar with and then a lot of people who he hadn't necessarily worked with, who he felt could bring to life um, his vision creatively. And so they're not exactly the same thing. Now, can you force a director to work with a, a, a crew that's not that's not his choosing yeah you know can you can you is that is but is that best is that the best way to produce quality no. on set no no of course not but it's something that happens uh, when you have a giant budget studio film studios and producers get their fingers involved like they dip their fingers in the pie and they'll right. select people they want in addition to the director it's a much more ensemble process obviously yeah and typically that isn't best for an artistic vision uh 
not all like sometimes ensembles come together really well, but oftentimes uh, we've talked about in this show when there's too many cooks in the kitchen, it shows. I struggle, man, because I'm not a fan of forced diversity. I'm a fan of this is what we organically want. This is what's best for business. This is what's best for the project, the creative project. Let's do that. Um, But at the same time, if you never say, hey, we need to change things here, then it never happens. If you never have the conversation about letting people of different cultural backgrounds and, and, and ethnicities and, and whatnot actually make things, then we see what Anthony Mackey is describing, which is just uh, all white, presumably California dudes make, like involved in all the creative and processes. And, sure. But even then, uh, there's obviously, you know, a lot written about how, you know, women aren't given the opportunities to do these things either. These things are starting to change. The monolith is starting to take different shape, but that doesn't mean it will stay that way, and it doesn't mean it's happening fast enough. So that brings us to the comics. Business Insider put out an article taking Marvel to task for um, their recent pledge to bring more diversity into their books and into the behind the scenes team. Uh, We learned a lot from this article and I just want to give you guys the details and then you can do with it what you will just, you know, of course, share how you feel. Um, The backstory. The backstory is Axel Alonso came in and was the head honcho at Marvel. He was the editor in chief for like 10 years or something. Uh, I want to say se- uh, seven years, maybe okay. maybe it was ten years. Um, he left in 2017. Um, during that time, we saw Lady Thor, Falcon become Captain America. We saw um, Iron Man essentially replaced by Riri Williams. Um, there were a lot of instances. We saw Wolverine replaced by X-23. Lots of examples of mainline heroes uh, being replaced by a more diverse group of characters. And sales fell. We talked about uh, way back when when the, the, the VP of sales at Marvel, Peter Gabriel, said that the reason sales were down was due to the diversity. That fans were telling them that they did not want the, the diversity that they were seeing. So then Axel Alonso got the axe. Uh, he was replaced by C.B. Sibulski. Who? <laughs> Sorry? Who? Axel Alonso? No, no, the oh, other guy. C.B. Sibulski. I don't know who that is. Unfamiliar. Oh, you might know him by his other name. Uh, I believe he goes also by Akira Yoshida. I know that guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and... Uh, with that change, we we saw all of those characters uh, either brought back or or the diverse versions of them kind of pushed off. Uh, to say Lady Thor doesn't exist anymore, of course, uh, we saw um, uh, that character go away. 
X-23 is back to being X-23. Wolverine, Logan has returned to his role. Uh, Tony Stark is back. All that, you get it. They're all back. The rubber band effect took place. Yes. Yes. And people are, are look, Marvel's back on top. Their sales are better than uh, than they've been in a long time. People are, tr- are attributing that to the return of these heroes that everyone knows and loves. The Business Insider article is really good. It's really long. It uses examples of three different cre- uh, editors, four, three former editors and one current editor um, who say that they don't believe in what Marvel is now saying, which is that they are committed to um, to more diversity. So Dan Buckley, on July 6th, sent out a memo. Uh, in the memo, he said that their plans were to broaden Marvel's creative landscape, which includes identifying what has traditionally prevented us in the industry from recruiting and fostering more B- BIPOC talent. Um Build a foundation of lasting growth by examining our internal culture and rebuilding our long-term process for talent recruitment, retention, and outreach to communities of color. And create new initiatives and expansion opportunities by looking to explore new projects that will enable us to reach and represent an even broader audience. Last couple of things, and then I'm going to open it up. The article interviews a man... um, who worked for Marvel, uh, who was an editor for them for a few years. Uh, His name is Charles Beecham. Uh, He says, my voice and what I brought to the table wasn't valued equally. He says, "Um, when I was growing up, I always wanted to be the Red Power Ranger, and the other kids would say I had to be the Black Ranger. The same thing happened with Spider-Man. Seeing Miles Morales made me wish I had that as a kid. Uh, he talks about how he wanted to work for Marvel. He landed a job. He was only making $38,000 a year for three years as an assistant editor. At the end of his tenure, he left uh, because he didn't feel like he had any upward mobility. He was one of two black staffers in the editor's end of Marvel to have worked there in the past five years. Currently, they have zero black creators or black editors. Uh, 18 people, two people of color total, none of them black. And then the last thing I wanted to read was just the fact that the, the staffers that they interviewed didn't feel like, um, like what Marvel is saying now will actually, um, come to pass. Uh, I, I I can't even read it. This business insider article is, is super long. I can't find the quote that I'm looking for, but you get the point. I said a lot. What, what do you guys think of everything? You know, uh, just yeah, uh, just just quickly, uh, BIPOC, like you said earlier, is uh, an acronym for uh, Black Indigenous People of Color. BIPOC. Good qualifier. Um, you know, that's the thing. As 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 frustrating as as something like. Forced diversity can seem at its surface level, or or pandering, or any of these things, uh, or, or people in the olden days used to get really upset about things like affirmative action. Thing is, you can't just look at something like this at the surface level. You have to really dig deep, and what what's being alluded to here is a deeper systemic issue. So you know, you look at 
communities uh, and cities that are predominantly, uh, you know, with black people, they receive less, you know, attention and funding from city governments or state governments, and that's a whole issue. You look at uh, schools that are predominantly African American, and again, they'll receive less funding from cities or states uh, compared to maybe an affluent white area. Uh, think of something like Pennsylvania. Philadelphia School District is the largest school district in Pennsylvania, but it's disproportionately funded by the state compared to something like Doylestown, which is a wealthy white area, maybe an hour and a half away from the city. Uh, and then you look at enrollment in colleges. Uh, again, without something like affirmative action in states like uh, Michigan or at like uh, Los Angeles or something, what as as something like that is eroded by you know racist governments, you'll see that student populations become more and more disproportionately white. So what's that all mean? Well, when you get into the career aspect of things, you look at Marvel, which we just talked about. Their entire editor pool and stuff is basically white. That's not unusual for comics. This is something that happens around the entire country. So when you at every single age and level are discriminating against black communities, they're given less opportunity. And that's what it's all about, right? Opportunity. The United States prides itself on having opportunity. Well, when there is no opportunity, look what happens. So that's why it's important to have things like affirmative action. It's important to actually put emphasis on diversity because obviously we uh, we can talk about you know the actual positive impacts of what diversity has in any landscape of things how our own government which is also disproportionately white because again like the entire country is run by white people uh, through gerrymandering and things like that lead to voter suppression but when you continue to continue when you continue to stack the cards against entire minority groups in this country that's why you have people crying for opportunity that's why you need maybe something like forced diversity because otherwise there is no opportunity it's bleak yeah um to that point i have one of my aunts works in east new york as a teacher and I think one of the things that she always tries to, to do is um, there's a program in New York City that allows you to go watch plays, uh, Broadway, Off-Broadway, whatever it is, for free. And you have to go and attend uh, like a morning sort of class for it and go. Um, and, and, and then you're allowed to free access to whatever, right? Um she specifically does that because otherwise, you know, one, it's expensive to go to any sort of Broadway production or off Broadway for that matter. But uh, also it's like exposure and, and access to something that is outside of the norm for the environment that they're living in. Um, and I think that sort of speaks in part to to what Phil's laying out is that you know, you because you don't have initial access to certain to certain stepping stones to get you someplace it makes it difficult for uh it makes it difficult for black people hispanics asians to be able to get into certain situations or to get into certain places of employment marvel as a marvel editor for editor for example 
Um, and even more so when we consider how small comics is, you know, it, it helps to be connected and it helps to know people, but it also helps to first understand the environment that you're, you're, you're stepping into and the environment that you maybe want to be a part of. And uh, that, that I think is one of the, the factors for barriers have to be eroded yeah or uh, yeah and and at the very least you have to be able to see the other side and i think that that's something that you know that access is key um also uh, yeah i mean we'll see how marvel continues to do with their pledge to diversify but i think it it has to it has to come down to um the people, the people hiring to make that sort of action, and that's hard, and and that's hard. My my fiance is in HR, and like uh, outside of making decisions off of like let's say a resume or something, right? You also have to know people, and 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 that that makes it easier for you to get into some place. And if you, as a person of color, know somebody who can potentially grant you that access, that's a shot. And that's a shot more so than anybody else is probably going to give you. Kale, what do you think? Oh, yeah, Kale. The thing I struggle with here is the numbers. You know, the, the article states that, you know, toward the end of Alonzo's year, sales were down, you know, when, when all these other... Uh, initiatives were in place, Lady Thor, X-23s, Wolverine, etc., etc. And when Akira Yoshida came and took over and reset it, sales went up. You know, I... I I have long been a, a voice trying to champion for diversity as much as I can, but I do find it kind of hard to argue with those numbers like if that's you know if that's really what people want i i you know i think i think it's what a cohort wants and i think that that cohort is the largest is the largest representative within the the comics that get that are bought but i don't think that that means similar to, to like the arguments that i that i make on like digital comics and 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 shifting to like less print or different um, sort of volume. It's about the consumption and and the mode of consumption. You're gonna get that. There's a much longer tail to convince somebody to be accepting of a character than there is the likelihood of a Miles Morales to 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 take off, right? Like like you don't you don't always get those characters. You know, every year that you try to introduce, let's say, a new character who might be diverse. But I think that there has to be uh, to a certain extent. You have to have a familiarity where uh, with a character where you can go ahead and say, oh, but that's just my Spider-Man, right? That's my storm. That's my whatever, because you're, you've been in the industry, you've been a, con- a consumer long enough that that is normalized to you, where the issue is in those four years, those characters weren't normalized in that they weren't, you know, you, you weren't beat over the head with it. And you go, oh yeah, those are new characters, as opposed to these are legacy characters where at, at that point yeah. they're like ingrained in, okay, 
I, I've known about this character forever. Changing that character now and introducing it uh, like a new character would be different. Like for the the example I always think of is uh, for the movies. I didn't know that Nick Fury was a white dude. I thought he was a black. I thought he was you know Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson. I, I I just thought that, that was a character. So me, that was my character, and for that many years. I had known him to be that character and then I find out years later after the fact that he's actually a white character and there's just a whole thing about making him black and whatever right but to me because I had that exposure the 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 white Nick Fury is the new character to me and he's become that in the comics too right and 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 I think that that is sort of the 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 angle at which you have to sometimes come with it is 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 time for perception for perception to change and to be ingrained in somebody so that it's no longer new but it's what is so that something else can become new i think that's really easy to say as someone who's not responsible for marvel's finances but when they're in a bad spot in 2017 after years of trying to get these characters over you have to make a decision you know that's the tricky part with with comic books unfortunately we talk about digital comics and we talk about having racial diversity it's comics operate on a really thin margin and so when they do try to experiment with things uh and it doesn't reflect well in sales it's so when it's like a long-term initiative you you know in sports if a team is undergoing a rebuild there's an immediate financial loss in that because the team is going to be bad right away for a little while. But it's an opportunity cost because you assume, okay, we're going to draft some really, really good players and we'll be really, really good in five years and everything, our, uh, the financial numbers will look a lot better then, right? That's a luxury that, uh, you know, a sports team owned by a billionaire can make. They could suffer short term losses. In comics, short term losses are a lot more devastating. Because the mar- the profit margins are so much uh, thinner. Yeah, absolutely. And you're also like, so there's two different things right now that we're actually talking about. One of them is the diversity in characters. But the other is the diversity in editorial. I think that the editorial lack of diversity is more damning. Because yeah, okay. one kind of fuels the other. Like... If you have more diversity on the editorial end, then when those editors have opportunities to uh, work with creators and say, hey, you know, maybe use this character. Or if they're in a meeting, they can say, hey, you know, we feel like um, there's an opportunity here to use Blade or there's an opportunity here to use uh, America Chavez for this story. You know, let's pitch uh, Vida Ayala writing, uh, you know. Uh, an, an America story, you know, um, those things will happen. But if you have a white editor who's maybe not thinking about those characters, well, then you just don't see them. So that's the that's the issue. I think when it comes to look, I'm black. I love black characters. I love all kinds of characters, right? And I love the idea that Miles Morales exists, and I wish he existed when I was a kid. But Miles Morales existing does not take away from Spider-Man existing in like Peter Parker Spider-Man because they have been allowed to exist simultaneously. If you want Spider-Man stories starring Peter, you can get those. If you want them starring Miles, you can get those. I read both. When also, they okay. well, hold on. When they made this shift, 
you lost Iron Man to get Riri Williams. Captain America, Steve Rogers, was now old and wasn't really doing his thing the way he had been. Um, you you lost Thor. Thor became uh, he he had, he lost his arms and he was weird and stuff like that. Wolverine was dead, so you didn't have the choice. Right now in Marvel, you can read Wolverine or X twenty three or both. You don't have to choose, and I think that was the mistake. It was if that's the forced part of it, you didn't you couldn't choose. Miles and Kamala thrive because those characters exist independently of having to lose anything otherwise. It's frustrating because it's nice to see things change up in comics. Like the fact that, you know, Steve Rogers was old and and all these things, it was it was interesting. I like when our conventional characters that we've known for a long time are forced into kind of an unconventional situation like that. But, you know, the thing that we haven't mentioned is that so much of the core reader base in comics are like dudes between 30 and 60 years old and they don't want to see those characters change. And that's the challenge, obviously, that editorial has to go through. The other thing I do want to mention is while I do think it's important to have diverse characters reflecting comics because when kids are reading those, uh, you know, uh, we've seen how the impact we've seen the impact of Miles Morales on kids. Right. Uh, the, 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 but I don't, I think that is still a, a, almost a secondary issue to having, uh, a more diverse editorial board or, or office at Marvel, because that's like a real world impact when, when people have that barrier of access so that they can't have those opportunities. That's something that directly impacts actual people, like their livelihood and stuff. That's like, a, that's, that's, that reflects a real systemic barrier of class and that's a that's a huge issue yeah it's interesting that the company whose character ethos is the world outside or story ethos is the world outside your window but they don't reflect that in the offices yeah and i i think probably caught like the big two in general are probably very uh impacted by that reality you just laid out there um, and to that, I did find the quote and the, the bit of this Business Insider article that I wanted. It says, uh, women faced an uphill battle at Marvel as well. Uh, a female former assistant editor told Business Insider that she was never promoted or given a raise from her $30,000 salary in her three years at the company. She said she got promoted within a year at her new company, a different comics publisher. Now, that's got to be about Heather Antos, right? Probably. That makes sense. Because she got promoted at Valiant almost immediately. Um, Interesting. That's which is weird because of how celebrated she is. It's crazy to think that Marvel let her go. I, that's that's why she jumped ship, though, because they were going to give her that. Yeah. She yeah she created two two best selling characters. I mean, and they didn't give her anything for it. This is this is why the feminist movement in the United States is so prominent. Is Obviously, the glass ceiling is a real barrier for women, too. Women will face maybe less discrimination in being hired in entry-level positions than uh, like people of color do in companies. Uh, you know, There's a lot published about how if you have an unconventional name, uh, you're less likely to be hired by a company or whatever. Uh, if your name is like Joe, then, you know... The, the, the the importance of a name of being hired in an entry level position is can't be overlooked, right? Uh, and that's 
really shitty. Uh, that's something I don't think women face as much in that regard. But the problem that women obviously are confronted with is uh, a pay gap and the glass ceiling of being able to move up through a company or what, what have you. And obviously they're, you know, in a democracy, you know, a government is supposed to be a reflection of a population. And obviously our own government is still not even a reflection of that because there's a lot of women who aren't in the Senate still. So obviously, you know, uh, this, this is an issue women face as well. Yeah. It's, it's a bummer all around. These are comics that we love and want to see, um do well so it's great that marvel's doing well right now uh what's the cost you know uh the article references the former editor named uh beecham and he says you know what what message are you sending when you replace the mexican um editor ed- editor-in-chief with a white guy you know um and then all of a sudden all uh, these... wait wait <laughs> the I... the editor-in-chief who's Pen name was an Asian. Yeah, I thought guy. he was the Japanese guy, Sean. <laughs> All right. Yes. Um, <laughs> I I don't know that I agree with that point. Maybe it's a salient one. I want the best person for the job to have the job, but you can't tell me that out of eighteen editors, not one black person could take a role there. That I just don't believe it. And uh, I think I think you know, like I said, Marvel is saying. They're making a, a, a strong statement for diversity. Uh, Dan Buckley did put that memo out. We'll see. We'll yeah, see. It'll just it'll go by the wayside when sales don't climb like they want them to. And we'll have this conversation again here in two years. Well, the editor thing, I, I, editors probably don't have, like, assistant editors and, and like that, probably don't have as much to do with sales as you know, the characters do. So in the instance of what was being referenced about, you know, Lady Thor, for example, that probably is more important than whether or not, you know, a black dude is editing that book. Um, So there's really no good reason for Marvel to not do that behind the scenes. And if they choose not to, especially with this heat that they're getting and this commitment, that's really damning and there's no excuse. Because... The, the most important point that was made in this article, and again, I encourage you to go read it. It's not free, but uh, it's... It, it, you, can, you linked it to us on YouTube. Uh, on on Yahoo. Yahoo. I, yeah, I was just going to yeah. say, uh, it's available on Yahoo for a limited time. But um, the most salient point was that there are minorities who can do the job. Mm-hmm. A thousand percent. Yep. And what more can you say? Exactly. And so with that, we're going to jump into our three reviews. So stick around. This is going to be a doozy. We're going to kick things off with Wonder Woman 759. This is the start of Mariko Tamaki's run with the character. Uh, Of course, uh, we have Mikkel Janin on art and uh, Jordi Belair as well joining them. Yeah. So um, this is an interesting issue. It's very much a first issue. Uh, of a run. Of course, this issue was recommended to us by Matt Murphy, a good friend of ours. Lover of superhero um, comics. Known for that, actually. Known for his love of superhero comics. Um, What do you guys think of this? We haven't read Wonder Woman in a while. It's been a bit. When was the last Wonder yeah. Woman we read? Do you remember? 
Um, the Hecatea? Yeah, no. Earth, Earth One, right? Uh, didn't we? Correct me if I'm wrong. Have you read those at the same time? When when uh, DC did a bunch of new creative teams on our big characters, didn't Wonder Woman have one? I can't remember who was working on it. Didn't we read that? Wasn't it? We tried Aquaman. I remember that. Rucka and, oh, hmm. Rucka and Nicholas Scott were on the Rebirth. Run. That was tremendous. We did. We read that for uh, the Wonder Woman Spotlight. Right. So yeah, it has been a while, never, nevertheless. Uh, yeah. I feel like this wasn't a... I feel like I've read Wonder Woman's runs that have started out like this before. I can't place it. Sure. I think there's some of this in maybe like how Brian Azarella, Brian Azarella's run started or something. I don't don't hold my feet to the fire on that, but this feels similar to how I've read other Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman runs starting. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. I, I thought it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the third person narrative that felt like kind of a callback. Uh, it really, I, I, it really wasn't that bad. I read this uh, since we're doing three issues today. Uh, this was the third one I've read, and it felt like such a significant departure from the other stuff we read. It was kind of refreshing. Yeah, I, uh, I, I haven't read something similar to this as like a start for Wonder Woman. I feel like they, they typically start with like the God aspect and like in, 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 um, on the island of the mascara. But this was different in that for me at least that it started sort of as like on the ground she was just you know about her day doing stuff which i thought was interesting and um yeah this was this was fun it was it was a light read um i like that and maybe it was informed by some of the yannick paquette stuff but like the the panels oh yeah that's true you know that's maybe what this reminds me of is Earth One because I think there's things like this in Earth One. Yeah, and uh, it, it gave me like similar, similar vibes from that perspective. Um, yeah, it was fun. I I also thought the 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 way she was drawn uh, was similar to Earth One, the way Wonder Woman was drawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's it. I think that's the familiarity that was really sticking out in my head. I think it. Feels like Yannick Marquette's art. Yes. Like inspired yeah. by. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I I thought this was all right. I so first of all, I, I love the art. Uh, Mikkel Janin is, is a is a beast. Um so many of these pages were, were really awesome looking. Um I love the way that she when she's when she's at the furniture store and she's like towering over everything. Um, she just looks so out of place in her giant heels with her giant body. Um, clearly, that's why Matt wanted us to yep. read this book. Um, but hey, listen, when you're when you when when the man's right, he's right. Yeah, it that's a well worn sort of humor that that a lot of creators have gone to that well with Wonder Woman, uh, where she's just kind of out of place. Um, she doesn't know things. Uh, the fact that she doesn't know at this point in her career or her life, I should say, how it works when you buy a couch. I didn't really buy that. How I how Ikea works. Yeah, I, I didn't really buy that. Um, I can buy her not being familiar with Ikea. Like, even if she's lived here for like, I know people that have lived here for like t- their whole lives and they've never interacted with Ikea or whatever. Or they have a, a they think it's kitschy or whatever. 
so I can buy that. If you look at Wonder Woman's apartment, which I, I did enjoy the humor of that because it's just all this very classical architecture. There's columns from Greece and stuff and all these vases. So I, it, it was like, it, it, I, for me, the bit worked, but also like I can buy her being like, no, I've had like actual architects design my my rooms before. Uh, right. I'm good. Yeah, and I, but I feel like even like she would have lived in so many different places that she would be aware of, you know. Oh, she says, uh, "Yes, my other house had many legends. Now I think they look slightly strange. I need some furniture." You know, she's moving into a place she doesn't know she needs furniture. She doesn't know that these vases are going to be out of place here. I just I, they they play Wonder Woman as kind of like ditzy a lot. And I don't buy it anymore. She's been around too long. Um, otherwise, I feel like this was pretty standard fare. I, I totally agree with you, Phil, where I've seen this thing before. Pairing her up with a, a younger character, uh, that's pretty well-worn territory. Um, even the stuff with Maxwell Lord, having her, having her in a normal situation having to rush into action where she's not ready to do so. She's wearing these giant heels. She has to take them off, save civilians. They're even doing that in the movie. So in the Wonder Woman 1984 movie, she's in a mall, and she has to um, save people, which was actually ripped right out of Greg Rucka's run. So that's two instances within the last few years I can point to where they did the exact same thing, and now they're doing it here again. Which will be fine in the movie, too, because that's obviously intended for a general audience that those kind of beats won't be as familiar to or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's also good first-issue ground floor material. Sure. Like, you know, she's moving into a new place, new start on life, new story. This is, you know, how this run is going to be. I think it's fine. Okay. Well, well, Kale, what'd you think about the issue? Exactly that. It's fine. It's oh, the first okay. issue. Art's good. Um, I think uh, the the inclusion of um, psychics as a, a, a Wonder Woman villain, um, I don't know, genre, I think is interesting. I don't know that that's necessarily something we've explored. Like, she's fought with Maxwell Lord before and killed him. Uh, but, you know, if we're looking at psychics plural, I think that could be really interesting. What do you guys think of Maxwell Lord becoming like a member of a rogues gallery? Because that's kind of what it felt like to me. I didn't know he was alive. I didn't either, but whatever, it's comics, I kind of was able to move on. Fair enough. I, 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 I'm fine with it. I don't really care. Um... I thought it was a little weird that they showed him as one of the villains who she's defeated over time, right. and then he is just immediately a, 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 in the in the issue proper as a villain. Um, because when Wonder Woman defeats her villains, she typically kills them. Yeah, and um, I don't know. I just it, I don't know. The issue has enough intrigue that I would come back for another one, especially because I am such a fan of uh, Mariko's work. I think she's tremendous, and I can imagine that she has a story to tell here with Wonder Woman, but it feels very paint-by-numbers, and 
Also, the Maxwell Lord thing is not really that compelling to me. But I have, I have very little relationship with him. So I think the the cliffhanger worked for me because I, I didn't necessarily know Maxwell Lord. And um, it was like, oh, I, I like the, the change of pace. Um, that interested me more so because it, it made it seem like she's now doing work for the government, which isn't something necessarily that I've i'm familiar with you know i'm i'm i know the uh the cliff chang and, and brian azarello stuff and that, that didn't necessarily touch upon that stuff so this would this to me was a little bit new and different and um i, I was interested in uh in, in sort of seeing what comes next out of this because uh it's it's new to me okay cool um i think we're good on that one right i think so yeah the co- i really like the colors yes on this yes um I I would not be disappointed to come back to this uh, for the art alone. Yeah, yeah, it, um, it, it's a beautiful book. Yeah, uh, but I think uh, I think uh, Mariko Tamaki is is trying to. It seems like she's trying to do something new and interesting, and that could be that could be good. Could be good. I will read any comic book that stars Wonder Woman where the art is good. I, I don't need to be sold in any other way. So I'll be back for this. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Because I, I might not have gotten around to this otherwise just because I'm still not back in my rhythm as far as buying comics goes. Pandemic. I'm still, yeah. Um, so let's let's jump into uh, X-Men number 10. It's been a while. This is, yes. It's been, <laughs> it's while. been a long while. This is the X-Men tie-in with Empire. Not to be confused with X-Men Empire number one <laughs> and two, which are, which are dropping. Uh, so this is Jonathan Hickman. Uh, Lanil Yu, Sonny Go. Um, very interesting, very interesting issue focusing on Vulcan, actually, who hasn't been spotlighted too much yet. So, uh, the mutants fuck. Yeah, yeah. dude. Marco. Sorry. Damn. I was excited for that. <laughs> like, I don't think it's like, I, you know, we all laughed about it, but it's pretty explicit here. Well, uh, it's, it's one yeah. of the like bylaws of Krakoa, right? Make it's new like the mutants. Second law. Yeah, <laughs> they fuck. Yeah, um, this was you guys talked about when um, you guys felt like the the issues with Logan and Wolverine and Jean that those were you know horny issues. This was this this overtook all that. I feel. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Big time. I was a fan. Uh, Damn, Marco, what were you feeling, buddy? Uh, I was feeling that booty. When uh, I forget who it is, Petra, the one in green, she turns around. She's like coming out of the mixer, uh, and then they're sitting down and like, should we help him? It's like, yeah, in a second, like teasing it out, drawing it out. It's good. All right, good, slow down. good energy. No, the- say it slower. That's what I mean. Oh, teasing it out. <laughs> oh boy, that's the lineal f- special, by the way, is how he draws butts. That's the lineal you special. The yeah. you special. I like the the whole like you want to go after him. It's like, my head says yes, but this drink says no, so maybe in a minute. <laughs> Damn, that's a vibe, son. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, Petra and Sway yeah. were horny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, all I could think uh, uh, with Vulcan walking away with the two of them, I'm like, man, that's Chad energy right there. <laughs> <laughs> Big cum energy. <laughs> Oh jeez! <laughs> Had to resurrect that. 
Uh, sorry, no, but but I will say from like a story wise perspective, I'm not familiar with Vulcan, so I think that the those three aliens, like whatever's going on with him, sort of fell flat for me. It 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 didn't necessarily. It didn't get a reaction out of out of me necessarily outside of like how the art sort of looked, um, and the colors around it. But I mean, that's why I kind of had to just hook onto the the horniness of the the thing because <laughs> like it is supposed to be centered around around Vulcan. But if you have no connection, I I can't like there's nothing for me to necessarily grab grab onto. Uh, I remember. I remember Vulcan was a very polarizing character when he was introduced. Um, I think he was created by Ed Brubaker, maybe. Yes. Yep. Uh, I've always he's the the fourth Summers brother. Is that right? Third. It's it's Havoc, Cyclops, and Vulcan. I thought there was no. Oh, one. he's a brother. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a brother. <laughs> <laughs> In this book, he's a brother. <laughs> So, am I silly, or are these? This is the Cree, right? That's messing with him. Uh, yes, I think so. Should be. Man, I couldn't tell. I don't recognize those designs. Like the people on the moon are obviously the Kotadi, but the the people in the beginning of the issue, I really, I don't know who they're supposed to be. Well, the the big monster looking thing looks like the Supreme Intelligence to me. I don't know if that's yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I took it as the Cree. It's been a long. Okay. It's been a long time since I've um, had to have read those books. Wow. You know, this is like mid two thousands to late two thousands. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the Cree. And uh, uh, Vulcan became the leader of the Shi'ar, if I remember correctly. Oh wow, Shi'ar in the idiot in the uh, realm of God stuff that took place. When when Black Bolt became the king of the Kree, uh, I I like Black Bolt. Um, I do like Black Bolt. I like Vulcan quite a bit. Uh, and it was actually kind of like I didn't know that I wanted like a kind of spotlight issue on him until I read this, and I was kind of like I dug it. And people have complained about him being kind of petulant in the past. His personality. Uh, I I like what Hickman's doing with him. He feels kind of fleshed out. And I like that he doesn't really fit in with the whole Summers clan, really. Um, and Hickman's writing is just really enjoyable in general. Yeah, Hickman is very good at kind of switching gears. Um, he switches well between the more fun, flitty conversation between Vulcan and Petra and Sway. Um, and then getting into the stuff with him and the Kotati um, and, and, and all the different ways he plays through this issue, it feels very organic. It does. Um, I like that he doesn't like being called Emperor and all that stuff, and they keep continually, like, playfully jab at him with that until the end uh, when he just basically incinerated half the moon. Um, and also, I, I want to say, this is the first time I've cared about anything in the Empire conflict, period. And it had to, it was signed written by Hickman. Mm. Yeah, I I thought it was interesting how, because because um obviously they're on the moon and I I didn't make that initial connection um you know with with the the summer house so that was like oh that was that's an interesting plot point for me and I like how 
I feel like sometimes for events, the event takes over the book. But in this case, it was like a part of the narrative itself. And it didn't it didn't conflict with the, the story that it seemed like Hickman was trying to tell with Vulcan. So I, I, I appreciated it for that. Um, it felt very similar to some of like the... So I've, I've been reading Onslaught, obviously. And like it felt similar to some of that stuff with like some of the tie-ins where uh, the the event itself is happening in the background but the narrative for the comic continues and i find it interesting i find it frustrating when the larger event story takes over and puts aside sort of what's going on for uh, a story within a specific series unless it's like directly related to the consequences of it but this one had like balanced it very well i thought yeah i i agree i i think I think events can either be a detriment to your story or an opportunity. And right. I, personally, I've always held the belief that that depends on the writer. Because there are a lot of times when books get the opportunity to intersect with an event and they do something really cool with it. I think this is an example of that. Uh, Hickman used this as a way to kind of reintroduce us to Vulcan. I've never really, I've, I've actually never read a book where Vulcan was a prominent character. Really? Um, I missed, yeah, I missed all the book, the the Brubaker stuff that he did with Vulcan. So, um, none of that has any meaning for me. Interesting. And yeah, and so I was pleased to get this opportunity to sit with the character, see kind of see what he's about and things like that. Um, and I love the the collision of the Kotati and the X Men because the Kotati kind of represent in some ways, what the X-Men have been dealing with and what they're fighting against, kind of. But they can't really cohabitate the same space, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Well, the 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 moon is the summer's fuck zone, so the Kotati's <laughs> gotta go somewhere else. They gotta go get take their Kotiti's somewhere else. Oh, jeez. <laughs> hey Uh Marco, what's your shirt say? Big. Come, energy. There's a soundbite, folks. Um, <laughs> I will say, I, 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 I don't think it's meant to be. I understand why you felt confused, Marco. I, I don't think the parts about Vulcan kind of being vivisected are meant to be clear. It could have been the Korean. Yeah. It could have been something else. I think that's something that is a thread that will be kind of pulled on uh, later. Uh, that said, I really like the visuals of him kind of being like studied like yeah. his whole body is kind of disassembled and blown apart very interesting yeah. visual i i appreciated it it was kind of good body horror totally and i, I you know again i i always sing the praises of uh Linil Yu whenever we review this book and i think he's brilliant the page where vulcan explodes very is, cool i mean just awesome and he just starts tearing these dudes up I really loved it. Uh, I think it looks great. I think um, he draws his his character um, models are are always tight. Like these these characters look really good. Very tight anatomy. Um, very tight. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, Definitely look like models. Yeah, I think it's important to. Uh, I think it's important to not gloss over the fact that um, we know that uh, in Krakoa. We have some Omega level mutants like Iceman. We have Apocalypse. We have Magneto. We have Xavier. We have these. Jean, Jean Grey. Jean, uh, who? Jean Grey. 
Uh, oh, Rachel Summers, you mean? Yeah. Uh, no, don't even <laughs> play like that. Madeline Pryor. Stop it. <laughs> um, I don't have one. It's okay. Good. Uh, you whiffed on a second one. That's okay. Uh, Vulcan. I mean, Jean, Jean Grey is such a nothing character. How am I going to know her Damn. whole history? <laughs> nice try. Girl. Nice try. Oh, okay, you bumped it. I like that. Uh, uh, Vulcan is uh, is a genuinely ter- like terrifying level threat. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. There's been whole events centered around what his whole deal is. So... Uh, this issue really reinforced that, like, yeah, you don't fuck with Vulcan. Not only well, do you fuck with Vulcan. Well, <laughs> well some people yeah. fuck with him, apparently. Not only do you not mess with Vulcan, but I think that this issue is also kind of letting us know that he might be a problem going forward. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, there might be some seeds being sown here for... Uh... Definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh my god. <laughs> I like those. This is grotesque. I love how long that... Location, location, location. That took a while to pay off. But then again, that's how Marco likes it. About nine months, really. Why Why didn't they take him uh, to the beach trip? They wanted... To, well, the, the little letter at the end, where it's like, yeah, you should get out more, but you know, if you don't want to come, whatever. But he was just sleeping. They could have just woken him up. Well, normal people don't do that because it's rude. Oh, really? Your mom does that because she doesn't give a shit. Oh, well. All right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, And it looks like now the Kotati have uh, a different agenda. It looks like now they might want to go and mess with Krikoa. Honestly... I'm more interested in that conflict than watching the Avengers yeah. or Fantastic Four deal with the Katati. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great segue, Phil. Yeah, not bad, huh? Very good segue if I were ready to move on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's almost like you don't host the show. <laughs> I wasn't trying to. Uh, there, there are rare moments where Kale comes to my defense. <laughs> Um, and those moments I do value. He puts them in your vault. You put um, them in your vault and you savor them. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So no. Overall, I, I thought this was a strong issue. It is another example of the X Men core title not really having a lot of synergy between issues. But um, there, this issue did a lot of the things that we all have been enjoying within the the book overall. Um, you know, it gives you a little more insight into the culture of, uh, you know, the X-Men now, and you see how, you know, horny they all are, and, you know, everybody's loving that. Um, we also get some mystery and intrigue with Vulcan, some kick-ass moments, the moon, uh, X-Men in bathing suits, you can't go wrong with that ever, and the promise of more conflict to come. So, overall, I think it's a really strong issue. One question that I had for Kale before we move on. Now, you said that you read the X-Men Empire number one, right? Yes. Okay. So, in that book, are the Kotati in- infiltrating Krakoa? Is that what's going on? Because this- is this not a lead into no. that, maybe? No. Okay. They're, no. They're, um, if this is the book I'm thinking of, and it's not the other confusing whatever, they're infiltrating Genosha. 
Okay, yeah, you said Genosha. Right, right, right. Okay, cool. So different things. So this will probably the, have its own follow-up. I They reference, I can't remember if they reference it, the Kotadi themselves. I think Kwa references, uh, I think it was an empire, references uh, that they're fighting the dead on Genosha. Yes. I brought that up because Star- Scarlet Witch tried to resurrect the the dead mutants there. Right. Okay, cool. Um, so we will we can expect a follow-up of some kind on this promise of more conflict between these factions, probably an X-Men number 11. And uh, yeah, very strong, very strong um, installment. So good stuff. Uh, let's get into Empire number three. Uh, this is <laughs> Al Ewing, Dan Slott, uh, Valerio Schiti, uh, Marta Gracia. Very strong creative team. That to this point hasn't necessarily delivered the way we hope, but I I gotta tell you guys, it delivered. This was you. my favorite issue so far. It was. Uh, is it is it is it because they were standing around and talking the whole time? <laughs> no, because <laughs> that's that's what I got out of this book. A, Sean, tell us why you enjoyed it. Cool. Uh, so I felt like. This issue was a, 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 an allowance for some downtime. The prior two issues focused more on the action. Uh, this one slowed things down a little bit to give us more character moments, which I appreciated. Um, I thought that there was there was a lot of cool stuff going on here. So we know that Swordmaster or Sword Swordsman is trying to manipulate his son, uh, Kwa, and that's definitely a factor and it's not something that i was really thinking about in the last uh few issues um they also included now the black panther in in things and and kind of elevated his role in this event love black panther so i'm excited about that um and 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 mantis i thought mantis's inclusion was really cool as well um mantis is not a character that gets featured too too much in the books that I read, obviously she's more of a major player in the cosmic stuff. This is a cosmic event, so um, we got we got Mantis, and uh, yeah, I I just feel like there was a lot of moving of pieces, and the dialogue also I thought was better than the last two issues. I was very critical of the dialogue, and I thought it was stronger here. So that's that's really where I come from. I also really loved the reveal at the end. Of the scroll empress, um, I thought that was that was cool. You you cannot do a scroll story and not have a major reveal like that. So you can't have a scroll story without them uh, being assholes and like secretly revealing themselves to be doing the opposite of what the, you know doing the opposite of what they were saying they were doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was definitely a lot better than the second issue, huh? Less exposition wall. Yeah, I thought so. So what? I don't know, man. Go ahead. I just didn't. It just didn't do it for me. I just, you know, I I think the character stuff that you're talking about came down to like I like I said, people just standing around. You know, they had some cool action. Pictures, I guess, but you know, but they weren't like action pieces for the characters. I, 
does does every issue like I I don't know is there something like I I I wasn't crazy about the issue but is there something wrong with characters standing around? I mean, for a whole issue in a superhero comic, that's an event. Well, you had you had one punch from the thing. It was clobbering oh, time, right? It Damn, was you're right. Time. Damn, you're right. You got me there. I don't know that that was my vibe from this book. Is just it's just a lot of people standing around and posing and talking about stuff. I think it just didn't do it for me. I think to the point on like it's like priming stuff. I think that made sense, but. For me, I, I just didn't find it too interesting. Like I like Tony and his he's like, oh, it was my fault and I should have seen it coming, whatever. I'm like, all right, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't care about that. Um and then I did like the the Ben the the thing stuff where he's now with Black Panther. I thought that was interesting, it might have or with with um Shuri rather, but they're like on the front uh what is it? It felt to me like they're like in front of the um was it in Lord of the Rings 2 where they're like protecting um, Rohan? No, it's not Rohan. The one, the one castle. I'm forgetting them. I'm forgetting the the name of like this exact location. But it just felt like they're priming and it's waiting for something to sort of drop outside of the punch that was sort of had um, with respect to keeping the vibranium safe because there's like an end goal. I thought it was. I thought it was okay, I, and nothing about it necessarily popped for me. But there wasn't anything that was outright like, "Okay, this is just bad." I thought it was a bit of a slog, if I'm being honest. Um, it's a lot of text, and uh, I find myself getting less and less patient with walls of text, uh, unless unless the prose is really interesting. I guess um, we we recently did a, a book club. Uh, that had a lot of text, but I was I was captivated by the wall of text. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, Earth X. I, I didn't say which book club, uh, which you can go listen to now. Um, but this often is a thing I'm confronted with in Bendis books, Scott Snyder books, and things like that. And I am often left uh, wanting less text uh, in, in in these books. Uh, less can be more unless you're doing something really interesting with it uh and maybe it's because of how sour i felt by the second issue which was not just a wall of text but a lot of just doing useless stuff with the text now you're conveying exposition and the exposition is important to the narrative but you're not doing anything interesting with it um that's happening less so here. It's not just a exposition fest, but uh, the turnaround to make me interested in what you're trying to say is it's a harder turnaround. It's like trying to turn a boat around 180 degrees in water. That turn is not going to be a quick one. So that's kind of where I was. I thought the text was fine. I, it, it didn't like nothing necessarily popped, but I thought I thought that it it. It did the job and, and and service sort of the story and where we had to go and and explain some things that needed explaining. Um, I think one of the the moments that I did enjoy was when Hulkling sends over the sword to Black Panther. I did enjoy I that, that too. Cool. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I I thought it was fine otherwise. Um, uh, yeah. I I think Sean might be right. 
uh, in the sense that I think this is probably the best issue of the three so far, or the four, I guess, if you're counting issue zero. Um, and I'm not completely out on it. I, I think this issue is working to turn around some of the problems that we've seen in the fir- in the previous three issues. So I'm curious to see if they can continue writing course, so to speak. Yeah, they're getting better. It's getting better. That's a good way of putting it. I also feel like this this issue did a lot to establish the stakes on the Hulkling end of things, which I felt like the first two issues really did not position him as someone to care about. Um, now we understand that, you know, he's definitely being worked over. He's 100% being worked over by his grandmother. We also understand that Super Scroll has his own agenda and that there is this potential extinction level event called the pyre that they're prepared to unleash you know and that hulkling may be confronted with the choice to do that if things go too far um and that's compelling to me i'm I'm interested in that and if this is look if they can make a star out of him through this event if they can give him the position to come out of this uh a character that people care about then that's great. That'd be I'm, cool. I'm into that. That'd be real cool. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I've been ready for that for years because Al Ewing has, she tried in the new Avengers run, which was overall not very good. But the, one of the things that I remember was Hulkling from that run. That was where this whole thing started. Of all the young Avengers, Hulkling always felt like he had the most potential to be something. First of all, he's got the Captain Marvel lineage, right? And he's half Kree, half Scroll. That's interesting. And, you know, he's a legacy character for, like, kind of the Hulk, because his name is Hulkling. Mm-hmm. There's there's, yeah. there's room to play. Yeah, Convers- absolutely. Conversely, I, man, this event is d- doing nothing for me with regard to Captain Marvel herself. Yeah, um, I think for any sure. of the Avengers, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I think all the Avengers and all the Fantastic Four have been bad this entire event in terms of they feel their on. characterization. They feel tacked on. Uh, I, I'm so unbelievably bored and tired of Iron Man constantly being. You know, oh my god, I can't believe this, you know, whatever. Or people putting that on him. I could do without it. It's overdone. It's played. It is absolutely played. Um, The one thing that I did kind of like, and again, kind of, so, you know, if you disagree, it's fine by me, uh, was where he sort of said, you know, I'm alone in this. Um, because the Avengers are not a family in the same way that the Fantastic Four are. I mean, the Fantastic Four are literally a family. Um, and I like the implication of that. You know, once the Avengers did what they had to do, Cap, Thor, and Iron Man went their separate ways, and clearly Iron Man is feeling the weight of that. That part I was into, but I was less into the part about him feeling so bummed out about what he did. I've read that, and I'm like, oh, I guess this is tie-in stuff that I'll never read. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah well yeah so um on the art front uh i thought this book was as good looking as any of the others yeah we i've i i seem to recall uh some criticism of the art in the first two issues i've never really yeah. had an issue with the art in this series i actually think it looks pretty good especially the colors 
I feel like the art's gotten better. I feel like Sean and I were fairly critical in the, I think it was the issue zero, but I feel like it's gotten better as the, as it's gone on. And I think, yeah, here it's, it's been really, really strong. Is, issue one was the one where we really uh, took it to task. Reed Richards looks just as bad here. I think. Oh, I didn't notice. Was he oh, thinking I... a lot this time? <laughs> he has the same like weird kind of face that, that, that doesn't really look like Reed. Um, he still kind of looks like a combination of Phil and actual Al Ewing to me. <laughs> oh, you're right. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. It's me. Dude, if you go to page seven and eight, tell me that's not you. Seven and eight. Is that where he's talking to Tony? And Tony's up? Yeah. Right. It's on the screen here. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. That one right there. Yeah, dude. That's Phil and Al together. Hold on. Hold on. Just straight wow. up. Look at the screen, Phil. Phil's gonna look like he looks like that. He just needs the grace. But yeah, that's yep. that's Phil. I've always wanted that salt and pepper look when I get that age. It will happen. Um and then and then, you know, this is just being nitpicky, but why is it that every single time Reed touches someone, they have to have him like reach out to them with his arm extended? Because how else are you gonna show that he stretches? Yeah. <laughs> At least but, he's not putting yeah. all he all good. All Reed Richards does is walk around and think all day. He never stretches. He only stretches his brain. At least, yeah, at least he's not putting his finger on his chin as if to say, huh, yeah, I would like pepperoni I mean, on my pizza. Full of that shit. <laughs> that uh, scroll empress has a tight old, old lady booty, huh? Kale, what is happening this episode? <laughs> I'm just saying. Did you see it? <laughs> no. I didn't, but I am now. I, all right, Which hold one? All right. Right. She's At working the, it. The, the on the last page, the reveal. This is oh, I this is guess. the most horny on main Kale's ever been on this show. I feel like. I sp- this is the level I'm I'm comfortable <laughs> being. <laughs> it won't get it won't get more than this. <laughs> uh, I do like that Kale's commenting on an elderly scroll woman's butt too, as if to really reinforce that he is <laughs> an old man. <laughs> I'm in my prime. <laughs> it's bothering me a lot that this this guy, uh, Kale. Uh, I have a name. No, uh, no, the pursuer. Um, no, no, oh, not the pursuer. Cap- Captain um, Glory or whatever. Yeah, it's really. He's just. I just need him to be not in this book. He's so generic. The f- the fact that he's so generic, but also looks so much like Nova, and Nova's not in the book. Is just really it's me. it's such a cool, almost wasted design. Yeah, like I really like that uniform, but I feel like the character is nothing. Um, man, I'm glad it's not Nova though, because he's such a fucking square. This guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but like, if it was Nova, he would have more characterization because they would have the Nova history to play off of. Versus this guy who was like no name. I'm, look, Nova. If Nova were in the book, he wouldn't be doing what this guy's doing. Obviously, he'd be doing something else. I hope so. But well, yeah. But I just feel like this guy has no business here. Nova has business in a cosmic Marvel story. Let's get Nova. That's all. Love Nova. He's my dude. Top five Marvel character. Would love to see him in stuff. Top five Bible characters. Noah's great. Two <laughs> animals. Okay. Great big flood. Great big flood. <laughs> God, he can't hold it. it. Uh, 
Any Cut other it. thoughts before we... Dumbest uh... joke I've ever made. Two Cree, two scroll. They're going to repopulate the world with that shit. Two Katati. Two Katati. Yeah, I know you want to repopulate the world with that shit with that uh, Empress scroll. <laughs> She's got it going on. That's not my fault. What's her name, by the way, Kale? I don't fucking know. The king know. of pronouncing names. Yeah, Kale, bring it up for us and say it. What, uh, is it on the page? Yeah, it's it page 22. Urkel. <laughs> Urkel. Urkel. Oh, it's Urkel. Urkel. Did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> Done. In her, in her other form, she's, uh, she's cool guy Urkel. What's his name? Stefan. <laughs> Stefan. <laughs> he's, and he says his name Stefan uh, Arkell. That's right. So that's right. She would become. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, just took a turn. Incredible. Uh, <laughs> stupid. Stupidest shit of all time. <laughs> It's the dumbest show on Apple. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this conversation. Clearly we have devolved, which is probably why we shouldn't do three-hour episodes. Uh, nevertheless, we got a lot in today. Let us know your thoughts about these reviews that we did or the topics of conversation that we dealt with earlier on. Thank you so much for listening. If you're still here with us, we really appreciate you. And... Um, we're going to celebrate you guys. We're going to celebrate ourselves. We're going to celebrate you guys. We've got the 200th episode coming up really soon. We've got some fun stuff cooking there. Um, so stay tuned for all of that. We will be playing the newlywed game on that episode. So, um, yeah, hopefully you guys have a blast with that one. Uh, do make sure that you guys are hitting us up on social media at the Comics Pals. Writing into us, comicspals at gmail.com. Or checking us out on YouTube. If you are on YouTube, please make sure that you do subscribe. Even if you're not on YouTube, just head over there. Hit that subscribe button. Doesn't cost you anything to do that. Just help us out. Um, we really appreciate that. That'll let us do a lot more things with the YouTube space. Um, we've got the uh, EarthX book club out right now. If you are a fan of EarthX or not, come check out our thoughts on that book. Um, we had a lot of interesting things to say, I think, about that uh about that particular book. Submit your book club suggestions to us through all the aforementioned ways of reaching out. The most important way to, to hit us up, if you want to uh, give us your suggestion, is our Discord server. There will be a link to it in the description. Go check that out. Join our Discord server and uh, you know submit your book club suggestions. We're taking submissions right now because the movie stuff, man, it's not happening. It happening. It's not happening. We've been rescheduling Wonder Woman Earth 2 for six months. Six years. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, with that, let's get into the plugs and let's start off with Kale. Wait, you skipped Pete. Thank you for tuning into another episode of the Comics Pals oh. podcast. Uh, for, Pete skipped us. For more stuff from me, you can follow me at Loud Pete and <laughs> on Instagram <laughs> and Close Twitter. Enough. You can check out my band stuff that i'm currently recording uh i'm actually calling in from the studio and uh, you get any drums we can hear some <laughs> sweet drums <laughs> oh man that's gonna be a good album damn <laughs> <laughs> uh and 
Go help me out. Go support a Kickstarter. Dude, you did oh, no, the, it ended. the whole cadence of that was in Marco's cadence, not Pete. You yeah. said, go Who? check me out at Loud Pete. <laughs> That's the cadence you do in your own plugs, dumbass. Nah, it's not. <laughs> I'm Pete. <laughs> I'm Pete. <laughs> <laughs> dumbass. <laughs> All right. Uh, kill. You can find me at Toto in Toe. That's T O T O I N T O W on Twitter and Instagram. Um, if I don't have any work this week, I will be getting started on this sick ass Gundam. So keep an eye out on Hell Instagram. Yeah. Um, you can find my work at kaleward.com. That's C A L E W A R D.com. Um, also, I'm Pete. Oh, plot oh. twist. All right. Um. Or you can you can follow me at Mister Mister Thank you. That's a different cadence, Phil. See, I told you, idiot. I would different love volume. to be able to different end volume this show. Too, so <laughs> at Mister Mark on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, tweet at him and uh, ask him about onslaught. Yo, onslaught is a. I I I'm not gonna say it's a good book quite yet. But it's not a bad book. Um, I'm actually this uh this most recent like arc. I've I've been having fun. I've come across uh Excalibur, and it's so hot in this room. <laughs> Yo, Warren this... Ellis writes a really good like uh arc for this. Well, that's cool and all, but you really can't talk about Warren Ellis because he's canceled. So <laughs> no, he's okay now. That is gonna be a Benoit. <laughs> and we're going to have to edit that out. And, uh, you know, that's, that's all there is to it. I don't know what that is either. It's a wrestling <laughs> reference. It's okay. Oh, okay. Uh, thank you. We'll get the reverse book club going soon enough, Marco. Um, <laughs> Phil. Uh, you can follow me at Twitter and Instagram at CyberBebop. Uh, tell me how I look like Reed Richards without the gray hair. <laughs> Are you also Pete? Yay! What's up, YouTubers? Loud underscore Pete here. I'm I'm already blown out the levels. Uh, get at me and tell me how cool uh, Beyblade is. <laughs> All right, I uh, love as- Ska. That's <laughs> 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 I tried. I tried to skank the other day, and I hurt my back. Skank. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's a dance move in ska music. Oh Jesus Christ! Um, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about what comics you're looking forward to. Well, what good stuff should I be buying that I'm not? I'm trying to get back into the swing of things. So uh, yeah, I am also Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Eh. I want. Okay. Uh, you know. I want to hold it, and I don't want to wait two years. I feel like every every time Marco shouts out a Kickstarter book he got, it was from two years ago. Don't get on fucking don't get on fucking Ethan Van Skyver's Kickstarter. Get a book that's actually going to come out, like Crossroads at Midnight. Wasn't there a book? I feel like there was a book that Marco had re- has referenced that was like a really good book from a from a, a good creator that just took forever to come out. Um, um, Matt Lewinsky's the the Freak. Yeah, took, took a while. There you go. There you go. All right. With that, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. I'll see you next week. (laughs) See you later, Internet.